Chapter 10. Case Studies. Making it Real. In the case studies that follow, you'll be introduced to people just like you who took time out of their busy lives to create a new future. Every day they define themselves by a vision of this future instead of by the memories of their past. You could say they were more in love with their future than they were with their past. The act of doing the work daily and turning the practices in the last three chapters into a skill led them to become more supernatural. Pay attention to how simple they made it. Tim gets the key to his future. At an advanced workshop in Seattle, which typically coincides with Halloween, we ask our students to dress up as their future selves on the first night. Tim dressed up as a supernatural swami. He had always wanted to be a swami, subscribed to the lifestyle, and at a young age had left his hometown in Connecticut to study in an ashram. At the start of the event, participants also received a gift from our company, a key to symbolize unlocking the potential of each participant's future self. Tim had attended several advanced-level workshops in the past. The first time he made a mind movie, he inserted a picture of gold and silver coins in one of his scenes. For years, he had been trying to surrender the emotion of fear, but at a certain point he realized that behind the fear was unworthiness. So for Tim, the coins were a symbol of worthiness. Everybody wants wealth, he told me but because I was on the spiritual path into yoga and everything else that goes with it, I had the mentality that I had to be poor and embrace poverty to truly walk the talk. So instead of the gold and silver coins merely representing wealth, they represented being worthy to receive. For Tim's Seattle Mind movie, he added more images to evolve his vision. As another symbol for worthiness, Tim used a Chinese character that meant wealth. But because he never desired money, below the symbol he placed the word affluence. He preferred affluence because when he looked up the word's definition, he found that its Latin root meant to flow toward. Wouldn't it be great, he thought, if everything I wanted flowed toward me? Although Tim is very analytical, after continuously watching his mind movie in tandem with the kaleidoscope, he found he could quickly bypass the analytical mind and get into the subconscious mind, the operating system, to program his future. During the workshop, when it came time to dimensionalize a scene in his mind movie, he had a profound experience. He started to feel joy and then a wildly enthusiastic love for life, almost like a burning sensation in his heart. He said he felt as if he could set the world on fire. Then during the meditation, I told the students it was time to open up and receive, and that's when Tim says energy began to enter his body. I don't know where it came from, he told me, but it was like someone had turned on a spigot. I shot straight up. The energy came in through the top of my head and then moved out through my hands. My palms were face down. 
yet without conscious control, the energy caused them to lift and turn over. I lost track of time and space and had no idea where I was. But for the rest of the meditation, I was in an ecstatic, exalted state. I knew somehow that everything was going to be different and that I was no longer the same person. When the energy downloaded into Tim, he believed it was carrying a message of worthiness because he was never the same afterward. I'm convinced that the new information that came into my body rewrote my DNA, erasing the old self, because that part of my personality is now gone, he says. When Tim got home to Phoenix, where he owned and operated a futon shop, he returned to business as usual on Monday morning. On Thursday, a woman who had purchased a futon from him several years earlier came into his shop. Since the day she purchased the futon, they had formed a friendship, and every few weeks she would stop by to chat. She was now retired and came into the shop to tell Tim she had just finished making out her will. She wanted Tim to be her executor. Tim felt honoured, and he thanked her. Here it is, she said, placing it on the counter along with a key. Read it. Tim began scanning the document to discover that not only was he the executor, she was also bequeathing him $110,000 worth of gold and silver coins. The key she placed on the counter was the key to her safe deposit box, where she kept the coins, which of course matched the picture in Tim's mind movie. In an instant, Tim remembered the similar key to his future, he had received at the advanced workshop in Seattle. Now that's being worth it. Sarah can't touch the ground. On Labor Day 2016, Sarah severely injured her back attempting to prevent a five-ton boat from crashing into a dock. For seven weeks, she was in agony and she endured physical therapy took a cocktail of medications, and made countless visits to the chiropractor. After nothing else helped, her doctors scheduled Sarah for surgery, but first she decided to attend an advanced workshop in Cancun. Because of how much pain Sarah was in, her son suggested she bring a wheelchair. She decided not to, and when she arrived at the hotel she collapsed on the floor in pain. Later, when she got into the pool on a float, she had severe spasms when she attempted to get out. Sarah was not new to my work, so she came to Cancun with her meditation cushion and her mind movie. In her mind movie, she was healthy, strong, and able to run again. She could play basketball with her son and lacrosse with her daughter. Every time Sarah saw herself in the scene performing aerial yoga, she embraced the joy she knew she would feel if she could actually do it, and when she heard the song from her mind movie, her energy rose. During the first few days when she was tightening her core muscles and drawing energy up her spine with the breathing technique, she felt her sciatic nerve pulsating. 
It was as if a warm electric current was travelling up the nerve. At the same time, she had the intention that the energy was a healing light ascending her spinal column. On the third day, she started her morning by searching the internet until she found an image of a woman doing aerial yoga. She carried that image in her mind all day. That afternoon, our students were working with the kaleidoscope and their mind movies. After they unfolded into the quantum field, I then asked them to dimensionalize a scene from their mind movie. When the meditation was finished, I instructed them to lie down on the floor. But as Sarah told me later, she couldn't find the floor. She kept reaching lower and lower, searching for it, but it was no longer there. The next thing she knew, she was in another dimension, having a full-on IMAX-like sensory experience, but without her senses. She was living a future scene of her mind movie. Enough circuits in her brain had turned on to make her internal experience. As real as any external experience she had ever had, she was not visualizing this scene; she was in it, living it. I realized I was in another reality, a different time and space. I was in my future, she explained, and I was actually performing aerial yoga. I was hanging upside down, and the floor wasn't there. I kept reaching for it. But I was just swinging upside down from this beautiful red silk scarf. I felt freedom from my pain. I was swinging freely in space. Eventually, she did lie down, with tears of joy flowing down her cheeks. When she came out of that meditation, all of her pain was gone. I knew I was healed, she said. I was in awe of the power of my mind. And I felt tremendous gratitude. I continue to manifest things from my mind movie. In fact, my mind movie can't even keep up with my life. Terry walks into a new future. In September 2016, while practicing her walking meditation along Australia's beautiful Sunshine Coast, Terry had a profound experience. Toward the end of her meditation, when she stopped for the final part, she was feeling connected, uplifted, and expansive. As she followed my instructions, she opened herself up to the field with the intention of being worthy of her future life. With no warning, she felt an electric charge enter her body through the crown of her head, where it continued to flow down into her heart. As the energy coursed through the rest of her body, surging through her thighs and down into her feet, her legs began shaking uncontrollably. The only way I can describe it is that there was an intense shaking from the inside. She told me, but it was a voltage of energy that my body had never experienced. I thought I was going to fall over. It was at that point I lost all conscious control over my lower body. She burst into uncontrollable tears, and with that release, her mind and body also began to let go. Time appeared to stand still. Terry understood that her body was surrendering a lifetime of past unresolved emotions. 
As the surge of electricity continued to move through her, she felt huge amounts of dense, dark matter falling away from her body. I believe this matter was trauma, not only from my lifetime, but also past lifetimes, she remembered. It included the trauma of my father nearly dying from a suicide attempt when I was eight, which has cast a shadow over my life by preventing me from allowing myself to receive unconditional love. She felt all her limiting beliefs, many of which she had acquired through deep emotional conditioning and the unconscious beliefs of others, simply dissolve. Everything that was not in alignment with who I really am just fell away, Terry said. I experienced true liberation, something my soul has been yearning for for a very long time. I knew in that moment that my soul had guided me to that very beach, at that very moment, with all these people to do this important work. She fell to her knees, an overwhelming amount of love flowing through her. Kneeling in the sand, humbled by this power, she saw that every choice she had made up to that point was necessary for her to arrive at this poignant moment. In that instant, she observed who she had been for the last year, consistently choosing to do the meditations every day, all the while falling in love with herself. She knew that her future self in that moment was calling her past self to have this experience of profound love. When Terry came back to the three-dimensional reality of her senses, she felt an overwhelming sense of peace and oneness with everything around her. She reported a deep reconnection to her physical, mental, emotional and spiritual self and said she felt more like herself than she had in a very long time. This experience reminded me that I am, as we all are, an aspect of divine energy, she said, and that I am worthy of receiving it. Chapter 11 Space-Time and Time-Space We live in a three-dimensional universe, uni meaning one, where everything that exists is made up of people, objects, places and time. For the most part, it's a dimension of particles and matter. Through our senses, we experience these things as form, structure, mass and density. If I place an ice cube, your cell phone, or an apple pie in front of you, for example, you could not experience any of these objects without your senses. It's your senses that give rise to your experience of physical reality. While the ice cube, cell phone and apple pie all have height, width and depth, they only exist to you because you can see, hear, taste, smell and feel them. If you lost your five senses, or they were simultaneously eliminated, you would be incapable of experiencing these physical objects because you would have no awareness of them. They would literally not exist to you, because in this three-dimensional reality, you can't experience them without your senses. Or can you? According to astrophysics, in this realm of three dimensions, the known universe, let's call it 
space-time reality, there's an infinite amount of space. Take a moment to ponder that concept. From the small perch where we sit staring out into the universe, when we look up at the night sky, we only see a sliver of the universe. It appears to us as infinite, and yet infinite is even bigger than that. In other words, in the realm of space-time, space is eternal. It has no end and goes on forever. But what about time? The way you and I typically experience time is by moving our bodies through space. For example, it might take you five minutes to set this book down, walk to the kitchen, pour a glass of water and return. This occurs because a thought that originated in your mind created a vision of what you were going to do in the kitchen. You acted on that thought, and consequently, you experienced time by moving from one point to another through space. Before you walked to the kitchen and as you were sitting in your chair, when you became conscious of the kitchen in relation to where you were sitting, you experienced a separation of two points of consciousness where you sat and the kitchen. To close the gap between those two points of consciousness, you moved your body through space, and that took time. It makes sense then that the greater the space or distance between two points, the greater the time it takes to get from one point to the other. Conversely, the faster the speed at which you travel between these two points the shorter the amount of time it takes. This measurement of the time it takes an object to move through space is the foundation for Newtonian physics, or classical mechanics. In the Newtonian world, if we know certain properties about an object, such as its force, acceleration, direction, speed, and the distance it will travel, we can make time-based predictions. Therefore, Newtonian physics is based on knowns and predictable outcomes. We can say, then, that when there's a separation between two points of consciousness, as you move from one point of consciousness to another point of consciousness, you are collapsing space. As a result of collapsing space, you experience time. Take a look at figure 11.1 .1 to further understand the relationship between space and time in our three-dimensional world. Here's another example. If I'm writing this book and I want to finish this chapter, it's going to take time. I may not have to move my body very much through space, but I still experience time. Why? Because where I presently am in the process of writing this chapter represents one point in consciousness, and finishing the chapter represents another. The completion of this chapter represents a future moment separate from the present moment. The space between, the closing of the gap between these two points in consciousness, is the experience of time. If you look at figure 11.1 .1 again, it will help you gain a better understanding about time. To achieve my desired goal of arriving at the end of the chapter, I repeatedly have to do something. This requires me to use my senses to interact and move through my environment with a coordinated set of behaviors, and again, this takes time. 
If I cease writing and do something else, such as watch a movie, it's going to take more time for me to reach my intended result. Therefore, to achieve my goal of completing this chapter, I must consistently align my actions to match my intentions. In this material world of three dimensions, because we use our senses to navigate space, we place most of our attention on physical things such as people, objects and places. They all are made up of matter and they are localized, meaning they occupy a position in space and time. These all represent points of consciousness from which we experience separation. For instance, when you observe your best friend sitting across the table from you, or look at your car parked in the driveway, you notice the space between you and your friend or the car. As a result, you feel separate from them. You are here, and your friend or the car is there. In addition, if you have dreams and goals, then where you are in the present moment and where your dreams exist as a reality in your future also creates the experience of separation. It's safe to say, then, that 1. In order for us to navigate this three-dimensional reality, we need our senses. 2. The more we use our senses to define reality, the more we experience separation. 3. Because most of this three-dimensional reality is sensory-based, space and time create the experience of separation from everyone, everything, every place, and everybody in every time. 4. All things material occupy one position in space and time. That's called locality in physics. In this chapter, we are going to explore and contrast two models of reality, space-time and time-space. Space-time is the physical Newtonian world based on knowns, predictable outcomes, matter, and the three-dimensional universe in which we live which is made up of infinite space. Time-space is the non-physical quantum world, an inverse reality based on unknowns, endless possibilities, energy, and the multidimensional multiverse where we also live, which consists of infinite time. I'm going to challenge your understanding and perception of the nature of reality because if you're going to experience the mystery of self as a dimensional being, you're going to need a roadmap to get there. Stress and the consequences of living in a perpetual state of survival. Because we use our senses to observe and determine physical reality, we identify as a body living in space and time, yet separate from everything in our environment. Over time, this interaction creates the experience of our identity. Throughout our lives, via the different interactions we have at certain times and places with people, things and objects, our identity evolves into a personality. The quality of these interactions with our external environment creates lasting memories, and these memories shape who we become. We call this process experience and it is life's experiences that shape who we are. And as you know, the majority of people's personality is based on past experiences. As you learned in Chapter 8, to our brains, the material objects, things, 
people and places that we perceive daily occur to us as patterns, and the recognition of these patterns is called memory. If the self is created from memories of past experiences, then memories are based on knowns. Therefore, most of our three-dimensional world is based on knowns. This is where most of us focus our attention. When you align everything material in your external world with the memories of your past experiences, you recognize them as familiar. You're matching a physical reality with a set of neurological networks in your brain. This is called pattern recognition, and it's the process whereby most people perceive reality through a lens of the past. We could say then that we're materialists, not only living in this dimension, but also enslaved to and limited by it, because we've defined ourselves as a body living in an environment at certain times. And our focus is more on matter and less on energy. From a quantum perspective, we're keeping our attention on the physical particle matter, instead of the immaterial wave of possibilities, energy. This is how we become immersed in this three-dimensional reality. When stress is thrown into the equation. Our body begins to draw from the invisible electromagnetic field of energy around us to produce chemistry. The greater the frequency, intensity, and duration of the stress, the more energy our body consumes. The very nature of these chemicals endorses our senses, causing us to pay attention to matter and knowns. As this vital field of energy around our body shrinks, we feel more like matter. And less like energy. In fact, when our frequency slows down, our bodies become more dense as we run out of energy. As we've discussed, this is fine for the short term when danger, crisis, or a predator is lurking around the corner. In fact, the fight or flight response has been a cornerstone of our evolution. In this state, stress chemicals heighten our senses. Narrowing our focus to whatever matter in our environment represents potential danger. When this happens, our neocortex, the part of our brain involved in sensory perception, motor commands, spatial reasoning, and language, fires and becomes aroused. For survival purposes, this narrows our focus on our body and the external threat, causing us to become preoccupied by the time between the moment of the perceived threat. And the moment we reach physical safety, both of which are points of consciousness, the more we experience stress, the more we feel separation. As you read in chapter two, the long-term effect of living in survival mode is that we begin to thrive on, and become addicted to, these stress chemicals. The more addicted we are to them, the more we believe we are our bodies that are local, that is. That are living in a particular place in space and occupying a particular position in linear time. The result is a manic, frenetic state where we continuously shift our attention from one person to one problem to one thing to one place in our environment. The evolutionary trait that once protected us now works against us, and we live in a constant high alert, obsessing about time. Because we view our external environment as unsafe, 
all of our attention is on our environment. As our outer world now appears more real than our inner world, we're addicted to someone or something in our external environment, and the longer we live in this state, the more our brain moves into high beta brainwaves. And as you know by now, prolonged high beta brainwaves cause us to feel pain, anxiety, worry, fear, anger, frustration, judgment, impatience, aggression, and competition. As a result, our brainwaves become incoherent, and so do we. When the emotions of survival have a hold on us, we need the conditions in our external world, our problems with different people, financial hardships, fear of terrorism, disdain for our job, to reaffirm our addiction to those emotions. These emotional addictions cause us to become preoccupied by whatever we think might be causing the upset in our environment, whether it be someone or something, and as a result, the survival gene switches on. Now we're living in a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you understand that where you place your attention is where you place your energy, you know that the stronger the emotional reaction associated with the cause, the more you will consistently place all your attention on a person, thing, or problem in your external world. When you do this, you are giving quite a bit of your power away to someone or something. Now all your attention and energy is anchored in this three-dimensional realm of the material, and your emotional state is causing you to continuously reaffirm your present reality. You can become emotionally attached to the reality you really want to change. This mismanagement of your energy keeps you enslaved to the world of the knowns, trying to predict the future based on the past. What's more, when you're in the survival state, the unknown or the unpredictable is a scary place. So for you to truly make changes in your life, you would have to step into the unknown, and if you don't, nothing ever really changes. The Newtonian 3D space-time reality Living as a somebody with something, somewhere in some time. If feelings and emotions are a record of the past, and those feelings are driving your hardwired thoughts and behaviours, you'll keep repeating your past and therefore become predictable. Now you're firmly ensconced in the Newtonian world because Newtonian physics is based on predictable outcomes. The more you live in stress, the more you are simply matter trying to affect matter, matter trying to fight, force, manipulate, predict, control, and compete for outcomes. As a result, everything you want to change, manifest, or influence is going to take a lot of time, because in this space-time reality, you have to move your physical body through space to create the outcomes you want. The more you are living in survival and using your senses to define reality, the more you experience separation from a new future. Between where you are presently as one point of consciousness and where you want to be as another point of consciousness lies a very long distance, 
Not to mention that your constant obsession on how it's going to happen is based on how you think and predict it should happen. But if you're predicting, your thinking is based on knowns, so there's no room for an unknown or new possibility in your life. If you are trying to buy a house, for example, you need to save for a down payment, look for a house, get a loan, go through the application process, beat out other buyers, and then spend 30 years dragging your body back and forth to work, through space, trying to pay it off. These two points in consciousness, having the idea to buy the house and having the house with the mortgage paid off, are going to take time to intersect. In a similar way, if you want a new relationship, you might go online, set up a profile, scroll through countless other profiles, make a list of people to reach out to, contact each one, and eventually go on many dates in the hope of finding someone intriguing. If you want a new job, you might take the time to create a resume, search for open positions, and go on interviews. What these processes have in common is they require time, which you experience as linear. You may get what you want, but the more you live in survival, the more time it's going to take because you're matter trying to influence matter. And there's a distinct separation in space and time between where you are and where you want to be. We can agree, then, that in this three-dimensional reality, within your experience of time, there's a definite past, present, and future. Since you live in linear time, you also experience a separation from time because the past, present, and future appear as separate moments in time. You are here, and your future is there. Figure 11.2 graphically represents how the past, present, and future all exist as distinct, discontinuous moments. As I said earlier, thanks to Newtonian physics, we've unraveled the natural laws of force, acceleration, and matter, allowing us to predict outcomes. If we know the general direction, velocity, and rotation of an object traveling through space, for the most part, we can predict where it's going to end up and how long it will take. This is why we can travel from New York to Los Angeles by plane, predict how long it's going to take to get there, and know where the plane will land. Within the understanding of Newtonian physics and this three-dimensional world we live in, many of us spend most of our lives focusing our attention outward on trying to become a someone, have somebody, own some things, go somewhere, and experience something in some time. When we don't have the things we want, we experience lack, and lack and separation cause us to live in a state of duality and polarity. It's natural for us to want what we don't have. In fact, this is how we create things. When we experience separation from our future desires, we think and dream of what we want and then set about performing a series of actions in linear time to get them. If we're always under financial stress, for example, we want money. If we have a disease, we want health. If we feel lonely, we want a relationship or companionship. Because of this experience of duality and separation, 
we are driven to create, and this is how we naturally evolve and grow toward our dreams. But if we are matter, focused on matter, trying to influence matter to get money, health, love, and so on, as we've established, it's going to take quite a bit of time and energy. When we finally attain what we're seeking, the emotion we feel from the fruition of our creation, or the meeting of those two points of consciousness, satiates the sense of lack we formerly experienced. When the new job comes, we feel secure. When the new relationship manifests, we feel love and joy. As we heal, we feel more whole. If we are living in this state, we are waiting for something or someone outside of us to change how we feel internally. Once we feel relief from the experience of lack, because we are embracing the emotion correlated with the manifestation of the external event, we pay close attention to whomever or whatever caused the relief. This cause and effect forms a new memory, and to some degree, we evolve. When something in our world doesn't happen, or seems to be taking a long time to happen, we experience more lack because we feel even more separate from what we are trying to create. Now our own emotional state of lack, frustration, impatience and separation is keeping our dreams at a distance, further increasing the time it will take for our desired outcome to occur. From somebody to nobody, from someone to no one, from something to no thing, from somewhere to nowhere, and from some time to no time. If Newtonian laws are an outward expression of the physical material laws of space-time, a dimension where there's more space than time, we could say, in a sense, that quantum laws are the inverse. The quantum is an inward expression of the laws of nature, an invisible field of information and energy that unifies everything material. This immaterial field organizes, connects and governs all the laws of nature. It is a dimension where there's more time than space. In other words, it's a dimension where time is eternal. As you learned in chapters 2 and 3, when we take our attention off people and things at certain places in our external world, no longer placing our attention on our body and ceasing to think about time and schedules, we become no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, and in no time. We do this through a process of disconnecting from our body, our identity, our gender, our disease, our name, our problems, our personal relationships, our pain, our past, and so on. This is what it means to get beyond the self, to go from the consciousness of somebody to nobody, from the consciousness of someone to no one, from the consciousness of something to no thing, from the consciousness of somewhere to nowhere, and from the consciousness of being in some time to being in no time. See figure 11.3. And take a glance at figure 11.4.
As we move from a narrow focus to an open focus and begin to surrender all aspects of self, we move away from the external world of people, things, places, schedules, to-do lists, and so on, and turn our attention to the inner world of energy, vibration, frequency, and consciousness. Our research shows that when we take our attention off objects and matter, and instead open our focus to energy and information, different parts of the brain work together in harmony. The result of this unification of the brain is that we feel more whole. When we do this properly, our heart begins to open, beat more rhythmically, and thus become more coherent. As the heart moves into coherence, so too does our brain. And because our identity is out of the way, meaning we've gotten beyond our body, a particular place in our known environment and time, the act of eliminating those things causes us to move to alpha and theta brainwave patterns, and we connect with the autonomic nervous system. As the ANS becomes activated, its job is to restore order and balance, causing coherence and wholeness in our heart, brain, body, and energy field. This coherence is then reflected in all aspects of our biology. It is in this state where we begin to connect to the quantum or unified field. From the illusion of separation to the reality of oneness. If Newtonian physics explains the physical laws of nature and the universe on a grand scale, the gravitational force of the sun upon planets, the speed with which the apple falls from the tree and so on, the quantum world deals with the fundamental nature of things at their smallest scale, such as atomic and subatomic particles. Newtonian laws are physical constants of nature, so the Newtonian world is an objective world of measurability and predictable outcomes. Quantum laws, however, deal with the unpredictable and the unseen, the world of energy, waves, frequency, information, consciousness, and all spectrums of light. Governing this world is an unseen constant, a single field of information called the unified field. We can think of the Newtonian world as dealing with the objective, where mind and matter are separate, and of the quantum world as dealing with the subjective, where mind and matter are unified by energy, or better yet, where mind and matter are so connected that it's impossible to separate the two. In the quantum or unified field, there's no separation between two points of consciousness. It is the domain of oneness or unity consciousness. Whereas in our three-dimensional reality, space is infinite, in the quantum world, time is infinite. If time is infinite and eternal, it's no longer linear, meaning there is no separation of past or future. With no past or future, everything is happening right now, in this eternal present moment. Because time is infinite in this time-space reality, as we move through time, we experience space or spaces. In the material world of things, when we move through space, we experience time. Yet in the immaterial quantum world of energy and frequency, the opposite is true. 
In the world of space-time, as we increase or decrease the speed with which we go from point A to point B, the time it takes to get there changes. In the world of time-space, as we become aware of an increase or decrease in the speed of the frequency or vibration of energy, we can go from one space to another space or from one dimension to another dimension. When we collapse space, we experience time in the material reality. When we collapse time, we experience spaces or dimensions in the immaterial reality. Each of those individual frequencies is carrying information or a level of consciousness that we experience as different realities as we become aware of them. In figure 11.5, you can see that as you move through time, you experience different dimensions in the eternal present moment. In space-time, you experience the environment with your body, your senses and time. Time appears linear because you are separate from objects, things, people and places, as well as the past and the future. In time-space, however, you experience this realm with your awareness, as a consciousness, not as a body with senses. This realm exists beyond your senses. You access this domain when you are totally in the present moment, so there is no past or future, just one long now. Since your awareness is beyond the realm of matter, because you have taken all of your attention off matter, you can become aware of different frequencies all carrying information and these frequencies allow you to have access to different unknown dimensions. So if you are in a realm above the senses and unfolding as a consciousness into the energy of the unified field, you can experience many possible dimensional realities. I know that this is a big bite to take in all at once, so hang in there. If you are confused, it means you're about to learn something new. When I say that as you move through time you experience space or spaces, I mean all possible dimensions and possible realities. We could say then that in this time-space reality, all possible spaces or dimensions exist in an infinite time. This is the unified field, the realm of possibility, unknowns and new potential realities, all of which exist in endless time which is every time. Let's think of it another way. Everybody I know is always saying that they want or need more time to get more things accomplished. If you add more time, you could create more experiences, do more things, and therefore get more things done. This would mean more possibilities could happen and you could live more of life. So now imagine that there was an infinite amount of time because the past and the future no longer exists, so time is standing still. And you had all the time you needed. Wouldn't you agree that you could have endless possible experiences and therefore could live many lives? We could say then that an infinite number of experiences would be available to you equal to your imagination. To say it yet another way, if time is eternal, then more spaces can exist in that infinite time. If we keep elongating or making more time, 
it makes sense that we can fit more spaces in time. If there is an infinite time, then there are infinite spaces we can fit in time, which are endless possibilities, potential realities, dimensions and experiences. In the quantum field, there is no separation of past or future because everything that is exists in the eternal now or the eternal present moment. If everything that is exists unified or connected in the quantum field, then its infinite frequencies contain information about every body, every one, every thing, everywhere, and every time. As your consciousness begins to merge with the consciousness and energy of the unified field, you will go from the consciousness of somebody to the consciousness of nobody to the consciousness of everybody from the consciousness of someone to the consciousness of no one to the consciousness of everyone from the consciousness of something to the consciousness of nothing to the consciousness of everything from the consciousness of somewhere to the consciousness of nowhere to the consciousness of everywhere and from the consciousness of being in some time to the consciousness of being in no time to the consciousness of being in every time take a look at figure 11.6 the atom fact and fiction to help you understand how the quantum field is constructed you first need to revisit the possibilities that exist in the atom. When we reduce matter to its smallest unit of measurement, we get the atom, and the atom vibrates at a very high frequency. If we could peel back the atom like an orange, we'd find a nucleus and subatomic particles such as protons, neutrons and electrons. But for the most part, we'd find that it's 99. Nine 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 percent empty space or energy as you read earlier. Take a look at figure eleven point seven. On the left we see the classical model of the atom that we were taught in grade school. But this is in fact an outdated model. In actuality, electrons don't move in fixed rotations around the nucleus like planets orbiting the Sun. Instead, as you see on the right, the space around the nucleus is more like an invisible field or a cloud of information. And as we know, all information is made up of light, frequency and energy. To get an understanding of just how small these subatomic particles are, if the nucleus of an atom were increased to the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, the size of the electron would be equal to the size of a pea. Meanwhile, the space where the electron could exist would be 85,000 square miles. That's twice the size of Cuba. That's a lot of empty space for the electron to exist in. According to Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, we never know where the electron is going to appear in the electron cloud, yet from nothing comes something. This is why quantum physics is so exciting and unpredictable. The electron is not always physical matter. Rather, it exists as the energy 
or as the probability of a wave. It is only through the act of observation by an observer that it appears. Once an observer mind comes along and looks for it, the act of observation, directed energy, causes all that potential energy to collapse into an electron, matter. Thus it manifests from the realm of infinite possibilities, an unknown to a known. It becomes local in space and time. When the observer is no longer observing it, the electron turns back into possibility. That's the wave function. In other words, it turns back into energy, returning to the unknown and to its own agenda. When it turns back to energy and possibility, it becomes non-local. In the realm of the quantum, mind and matter are indivisible. Therefore, if Newtonian physics is the world of the predictable, the quantum is the world of the unpredictable. When we close our eyes in meditation and open our focus to infinite space, this is exactly what we are doing. We are putting more of our attention on energy, space, information and possibility rather than on matter. We are becoming less aware of the material realm and more aware of the immaterial realm. We are investing our energy into the unpredictable and unknown and disinvesting our attention and energy from the predictable and the known. Each time we do this, we develop a deeper understanding of what the unified field is. Before we go any further, let's briefly review what we just learned. Take a moment to review figure 11.8. The three-dimensional Newtonian world is made up of objects, people, places, matter, particles and time, basically most of the nouns, or everything we know in our external world. And in this world, there's more space than time. As a body, we use our senses to define this infinite space we live in, a universe of form, structure, dimension and density. This is the realm of the known and predictable. Because we experience the material universe with our senses, our senses provide us with information that occurs as patterns in our brain, which we recognize as structures, and it is through this process that things in our external environment become knowns. It is also through this process that we become a somebody, a someone with some things in some place and in some time. Finally, because we experience the universe with our senses, we experience separation. Therefore, this is the realm of duality and polarity. Now review figure 11.9. If the Newtonian world is a material world defined by the senses, in the quantum world the opposite is true. This is an immaterial world defined by nonsense. In other words, there's nothing sensory based here, and there's no matter. Whereas the Newtonian world is based on predictable knowns such as matter, particles, people, places, things, objects and time, this is an unpredictable dimension made up of light, frequency, information, vibration, energy and consciousness. If our three-dimensional world is a dimension of matter, where there's more space than time, the quantum world is a dimension of 
antimatter, a place where there's more time than space. Because there is more time than space, all possibilities exist in the eternal present moment. Whereas the three-dimensional world is our universe, meaning one reality, the quantum world is a multiverse, meaning many realities. If the space-time reality is based on separation, then the immaterial quantum world, or unified field, is based on oneness, connectedness, wholeness and unity, non-locality. In order for us to go from our known space-time, three-dimensional universe, a universe made up of matter where we experience duality and polarity, to the unknown time-space, five-dimensional, multiverse, a place where there is no matter, but instead light, information, frequency, vibration, energy and consciousness, we have to cross a bridge. That bridge is the speed of light. When we become pure consciousness and become no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, we are crossing that threshold from matter to energy. When Einstein introduced the equation E equals mc squared in his theory of special relativity, for the first time in the history of science, he demonstrated from a mathematical standpoint that energy and matter are related. What converts matter to energy is the speed of light, which means anything material traveling faster than the speed of light leaves our three-dimensional reality and turns into immaterial energy. In other words, in the three-dimensional world, the speed of light is the threshold for matter, or anything physical, to retain its form. No thing can travel faster than the speed of light, not even information. Anything traveling from one point to another that is traveling slower than the speed of light is going to take time. Therefore, the fourth dimension is time. Time is the nexus that connects the three-dimensional world to the fifth-dimensional world and beyond. Once something is traveling faster than the speed of light, there is no time or no separation between two points of consciousness, because every thing, material, becomes energy. This is how you go from three dimensions to five dimensions, from a universe to the multiverse, from this dimension to all dimensions. Let me give you an example to help simplify this complex idea. French physicist Alain Aspect performed a famous quantum physics experiment in the early 1980s called the Bell Test Experiments. In the study, scientists entangled two photons, causing them to bond together. They then shot the two photons in opposite directions, creating distance and space between them. When they influenced one photon to disappear, the other photon vanished at exactly the same time. This experiment was a cornerstone study in the breakthrough of quantum physics because it proved that Einstein's theory of relativity wasn't completely correct. What it showed was that there is a unifying field of information existing beyond three-dimensional space and time that connects all matter. If the two particles of light were not connected by some invisible field of energy, 
it would have taken time for information to travel from one local point in space to the other local point in space. According to Einstein's theory, if one particle disappeared, the other particle should disappear a moment later, unless they were occupying the same space at the same time. Even if the second photon was affected a millisecond later, because they were separated by space, time would have played a factor in relaying the information. This would have reaffirmed that the ceiling of this physical reality is the speed of light, and everything material that exists here is separate. Because the two particles vanished at exactly the same time, it proved that all matter, bodies, people, things, objects, places, and even time are connected by frequency and information in a realm beyond three-dimensional reality and time. Everything beyond the material is unified in a state of oneness. The information was communicated between those two photons non-locally. Since there is no separation between two points of consciousness in the five-dimensional reality, there is no linear time. There is only all times. Mystical quantum physicist David Bohm called the realm of the quantum the implicate order, where everything is connected. He called the explicit order the material realm of separation. If you look at figures 11.8 and 11.9 again, it will help you to get your mind around both worlds. When you take your attention off being somebody, someone, something, somewhere, in some time, and you become no body, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time, you are becoming pure consciousness. Your consciousness merges with the unified field, which is made only of consciousness and energy, where you connect to the self-organizing consciousness of everybody, everyone, everything, everywhere, in every time. Thus, as you surrender as an awareness, without your senses, into this field of oneness where there is no separation and you keep going deeper into the void or blackness because nothing physical exists there you as a consciousness become less separate from the consciousness of the unified field if you can keep becoming more conscious and aware of it and keep paying attention to it you are investing your energy in it and your attention directly at it thus as you keep moving toward it you will feel less separation and more wholeness. Finally, since only the eternal present moment exists in the unified field, because there is no linear time, only all time, the consciousness and energy of the unified field that is observing all matter into form is always in the present eternal moment. Therefore, in order for you to connect and unify with it, you will have to be completely in the present moment as well. If you review figure 11.10, it shows how you can collapse your own separation and individual consciousness to experience the oneness and wholeness of the unified field. One last point about the speed of light. In this realm of the material world, visible light is a frequency based on polarity, electrons, positrons, photons, and so on. If you look ahead a bit at figure 11.11, according to the scale, approximately one-third of the way up from the slowest frequency 
is where the division of light takes place. Above this wave or frequency is where matter goes from form to energy and singularity, and below this frequency are division and polarity. When the division of light takes place, photons, electrons and positrons come into being because the visible light field holds the information template of matter as organized frequency in patterns of light. This division of light is where the Big Bang occurred, where singularity became duality and polarity, where the universe eventually appeared as organized information and matter. That's why this void is eternal blackness. There is no visible light. Because matter vibrates at such a slow frequency, to enter the time-space dimension or the unified field, you can't enter as a body or matter so you must become no body. You can't take your identity, so you're going to have to become no one. You can't take things, so you must become no thing. You can't be somewhere, so you're going to have to get to nowhere. Finally, if you're living by a familiar past or predictable future where time appears linear, to get to the place of time-space, you're going to have to experience no time. How do you do this? You keep placing your attention on the unified field, not with your senses, but with your awareness. As you change your consciousness, you raise your energy. The more you become aware of this invisible field, the more you're moving further away from the separation of matter and closer to oneness. Now you're in the quantum, or the unified field. This is the realm of information that connects every body everyone, everything, everywhere, and every time. The unified field, becoming everybody, everyone, everything, everywhere, in every time. Matter is very dense, and because of its density it vibrates at the slowest frequency in the universe. In figure 11.11, .11, you see that as you raise matter's frequency by speeding it up faster and faster, matter as we know it dematerializes into energy. At some point just beyond the visible light spectrum, above the realm of duality and polarity, any information about matter converts to more unified energy. As you can see, the higher the frequency, the more orderly and coherent that energy becomes. At this level of frequency and energy, duality and polarity unify to become one. We call this love or wholeness because there is no longer any division or separation. It is where positive and negative join, where male and female unite, where the past and future merge, where good and bad no longer exist, where right and wrong no longer apply, where opposites become one. As you continue up this scale away from matter and separation, you continue to experience greater and greater degrees of wholeness, order and love. The orderliness of this more coherent energy is carrying information, and that information is more and more love. If you continued speeding matter up even faster, eventually it would be vibrating so fast as a frequency 
that it would exist as a straight line. Infinite frequencies exist in that line, which means infinite possibilities exist there as well. This is the zero-point field, or the point of singularity of the quantum, an omnipresent, ubiquitous field of information that exists as energy and frequency that is observing all of reality into order from a single point. We could call this the mind of God, unity consciousness, source energy, or whatever nomenclature you want to use to define the self-organizing principle of the universe. This is the place where all potentials or possibility exists as a thought, the ultimate source of a loving intelligence and an intelligent love that is observing all of this physical reality into form. Therefore, the greater the frequency we experience, the greater the energy. The greater the energy, the greater the information we have access to. The greater the information, the greater the consciousness. The greater the consciousness, the greater the awareness. The greater the awareness, the greater the mind. The greater the mind, the greater ability we have to affect matter. In the hierarchy of universal laws, quantum laws trump Newtonian or classical laws. This is why Einstein said, the field is the sole governing agency of the particle. For the quantum field governs, organizes, and unifies all the laws of nature and is always directing energy into order by patterning light into form. On our own planet, we need only look at nature to see how Fibonacci's sequence, otherwise known as the golden ratio, a recurring mathematical formula found throughout nature that brings about order and coherence, brings order to matter. Is the zero-point field made of possibilities or thought, because thoughts are possibilities, that is slowing its frequency down, creating order and form. The unified field is a self-organizing intelligence that is always observing the material world into order and form. The more you can surrender to it, move closer to it, and become one with it, the less separation and lack you feel, and thus the more wholeness and oneness you experience. When you as an awareness unfold into this infinite realm of possibilities, you begin to feel connected to the consciousness of everyone, everybody, everywhere, everything, in every time, including your future dreams. Since consciousness is awareness, and awareness is paying attention, the first step to experiencing the unified field is to become aware of it, because if you're not aware of it, it doesn't exist. Thus, the more you pay attention to this field, the more you will become aware of it. There is a caveat, however. As we've seen, the only way you can enter the realm of pure consciousness is to become pure consciousness. In other words, the only way to enter this kingdom of thought is as a thought. This means you have to get beyond your senses by taking your awareness off matter and particles and instead place it on energy or the wave. If you can unfold as an awareness into this unseen, immaterial realm of infinite blackness, 
and become aware that you are an awareness in the presence of a greater awareness, your consciousness will merge with a greater consciousness. If you can do this, if you can get out of the way and linger as a consciousness or awareness in this field, if you can keep surrendering to this intelligent love, the same innate intelligence that's creating the universe and giving you life, it's going to consume you. This loving intelligence is both personal and universal, within you and all around you, and when it consumes you, it's going to create and restore order and balance in your biology because its very nature is to organize matter in a more coherent way. Now you are moving through the eye of the needle and on the other side of the eye there is no longer the separation of two points of consciousness. There is one consciousness or oneness. This is where all possibilities exist. Because you are entering the domain of consciousness, thought, information, energy and frequency, the bridge that gets you from space-time to time-space is going from being somebody, someone, something, in some place, in some time, to being nobody, no one, no thing, nowhere, in no time. This is the nexus, the threshold to the unified or quantum field. Go back and review figures 11.8 and 11.9. In this realm of infinite unknown possibilities, unlimited new potentials and experiences await you, not the same old familiar ones that you've experienced time and time again. After all, isn't that what the unknown is? An unknown is just a possibility that exists to you as a new thought. When you are in this realm of pure thought, as a thought, the only thing limiting you is your imagination. But when in this realm of thought, if you find yourself thinking again about someone, something, somebody, somewhere, in some known time, your awareness, and thus your energy, is back in the known reality of three-dimensional space and time, back to the realm of separation. Since every thought you think has a frequency, the moment you start thinking about the pain in your body, or the advancement of your disease, or the problems at work, or the issues you have with your mother, or the things you must do within a certain amount of time, you are back in this space and time. Your awareness is back in the realm of the material world, and your thoughts are producing the same frequency equal to matter and particles, Review figure 11.10. Your energy is back to vibrating at the same level of the known physical world of three-dimensional reality, so you exert less of an effect on your personal reality. You are back to vibrating as matter, and we know how that goes. As your frequency moves further and further into density, you are moving further and further away from the unified field, as a result, you feel separate from it. In this scenario, if your dreams exist as thoughts in the unified field, it's going to take a lot of time for your dreams to come true. If you are thinking about somebody, someone, something, at some place, in some time, you are not getting beyond your identity 
which has been shaped by the totality of your past experiences. You are literally still in the same memories, habitual thoughts and conditioned emotions that you've associated with all the familiar people and things at certain times and places in your known reality, which means your attention and energy are bound to your past-present personal reality. Your thinking equal to your identity, so your life is going to stay the same. You're the same personality, trying to create a new personal reality. When I say you have to get beyond yourself, it means to forget about yourself. Take your attention off your personality and your past personal reality. It makes sense, then, that to heal your body, you're going to have to get beyond your body. To create something new in your life, you're going to have to forget about your same old life. To change some problem in your external environment, you're going to have to get beyond your memory and the corresponding emotions related to that problem. And if you want to create a new, unexpected event in your future timeline, you'll have to stop unconsciously anticipating the same predictable future based on your familiar memories of the past. You are going to have to move to a greater level of consciousness than the consciousness that created any of those realities. In the unified field, there is nowhere to go because you are everywhere. There is nothing you can want because you are so whole and complete that you feel like you have everything. You can't judge anyone because you are everyone, and it's no longer necessary to become anybody because you are everybody. And why would you be worried that there is never enough time if you exist in a domain where there's infinite time? The more whole you feel, the less lack you experience, and therefore the less you want. How can you want or live in lack when you feel whole? If there is less lack, there is less of the need to create from duality, polarity and separation. How can you want when you're whole? When you create from wholeness, you feel like you already have it. There is no longer wanting, trying, wishing, forcing, predicting, fighting or hoping. After all, hope is a beggar. When you create from a state of wholeness, there are only knowing and observing. This is the key to manifesting reality, being connected, not separate. If time in your three-dimensional world is created by the illusion of space between two objects, or two points of consciousness, then the more one you are with the unified field, the less separation there is between you and everything material. When your consciousness merges or becomes more connected to the unified field, to the realm of wholeness and unity, there is no longer separation between two points of consciousness. This wholeness is then reflected in your biology, chemistry, circuitry, hormones, genes, heart and brain, thus restoring balance to your entire system. A greater frequency or energy is now moving through your autonomic nervous system, a system that continuously gives you life, whose agenda it is to create balance and order. This energy is carrying a message of wholeness, 
and as a result you become more holy. The greater the frequency you experience, the shorter amount of time it takes to unfold in this three-dimensional space-time reality. As we learned earlier in this chapter, when you diminish the space between two points of consciousness, you collapse time. When this illusion of separation no longer exists, you perceive less space between you, an identity living in a body in a physical environment in linear time, and people, objects, things, places, matter, and even your dreams. Therefore, the closer you move to the unified field, the more connected you feel you are to everyone and everything. You, as a consciousness, are in the realm of oneness, and because there is no separation, time is eternal. And remember, when there is infinite time, there are infinite spaces, possible dimensions and realities to be experienced. Wherever you think you are, or whoever you think you are, you are. In fact, there is nothing to try to create because it already exists as a thought in the realm of all thoughts. All you have to do is to become aware of it and observe it into being by experiencing it. Take a peek at figure 11.12 to follow along. As you do this and move your attention from being somebody to being nobody to becoming everybody, you can create anybody. As you move from living as someone to becoming no one to being everyone, you can become anyone. As you can take your attention off something, move into the realm of nothing, you merge with everything, thus you can have anything. As you move your awareness from somewhere to nowhere, you will be everywhere, and you can live anywhere. And finally, when you shift your consciousness from some time to no time, to become every time, you can be in any time. Now that's becoming supernatural. In the work I do around the world, I have labored for many years teaching our students how to get beyond themselves. I now know the first step in this process is for them to master their body get beyond the conditions in their external environment and transcend time. When they accomplish that, they find themselves on the precipice of experiencing the unified field. Once they arrive at this nexus, however, they must be taught that there is even more to experience. If learning means making new synaptic connections, the more you learn about something, the more you can appreciate it, become aware of it, and experience it because now you can engage it with a new set of neural networks. It is in the act of learning that you further change or enrich your experience. After all, if you haven't learned anything new, your experience will probably stay the same since you're perceiving reality with the same neural circuitry as before. Knowledge is the harbinger that evolves your experience. For example, I love red wine and I lead several wine tours a year in different parts of the world. Many people who come to these week-long events initially tell me that they know nothing about wine. 
How I translate this statement is that they probably never learned anything about, or have had limited exposure to, the fermented grape. The truth of the matter is that because they have limited knowledge and experience from their past, they have very limited neural hardware installed to perceive any real taste or nuance. We could say then that they just don't know what to look for to truly enjoy the experience. But what if they learn how winemakers produce wine and understand its history, the type of grapes they use and why they are used? Then they learn about how the wine is stored in oak barrels, for how long and why. This would familiarize them with the whole process and reasoning as to what makes a particular wine so enjoyable. That's the process, but now think of that great wine in the bottle. If they are not aware of the plum flavor, the notes of black cherry and currants, its hints of vanilla and leather, the smell of its floral perfumes, its percentage of tannins, and whether it was aged in oak barrels or stainless steel drums, and for how long, then they don't know what to look for, and they are not going to be able to fully experience it. Only in the moment when they know what to look for and what to become aware of does it exist. We could say then that their awareness changes their experience. I know this to be true because in just one week those same people who initially said they didn't like red wine or knew nothing about it walk away with a whole new experience of interacting with it. After many full days of learning and discovering what to look for, repeatedly staying present and focusing all their awareness on specific flavors and aromas, day after day experiencing all types of wines and deciding what they like and don't like, continuously paying attention and therefore firing, wiring and assembling new neural connections, those folks get very specific about what type of wine they like. In one week, they gain a whole new level of appreciation awareness and understanding. Again, the experience changed them. The same is true when it comes to the unified field. If you are not aware of it, then it doesn't exist for you. Yet the more you know about it, and the more aware you are of what to look for, the more you can pay attention to it with your awareness and experience it more deeply. And it should change you. Starting at birth, you are trained to keep your attention on matter and not on energy. You are conditioned into believing you need your senses to experience reality. In other words, if you don't see, hear, feel, smell, touch or taste something, it doesn't exist. Because of this, the majority of people place most of their attention on matter, objects and the particle while taking very little time to put their intention on energy, information and the wave. For instance, you are not aware of your big toe on your left foot until you put your attention on it. It has always existed for you, but you were unaware of it. The moment you put your awareness on it, however, it comes into being. The same is true for the unified field. The more you become aware of it, the more it will exist in your reality. By focusing solely on matter, people exclude possibility from their life. That's what the wave is, 
an energy of possibility. The more you pay attention to it, the more possibilities should show up in your life. Because wherever you place your attention is where you place your energy, the moment you become aware of the unified field, your attention upon it causes it to expand. For example, when you place your attention and awareness on your pain, it expands, because you experience more of it. If you keep attending to your pain and experiencing more and more of it, it becomes a part of your life. The same thing also happens with the unified field. When you place your attention on it and become more aware of it, it expands. And just as I said about pain, when you experience more of it, it exists as part of your life. Simply by placing your attention on the unified field, as you become aware of it, notice it, experience it, feel it, interact with it, and stay present with it moment after moment, it shows up and unfolds in your reality on a daily basis. How does it show up and unfold? As unknowns, serendipities, synchronicities, opportunities, coincidences, luck, being in the right place at the right time, and moments filled with awe. In my best description from experience, this unified field is a divine, loving intelligence and an intelligent love that is within and around you. So each time you focus your attention on it, you are becoming aware of the presence of the divine within and all around you. As you place your attention on it, the divine should appear more in your life. Since consciousness is awareness, and awareness is paying attention, when you are aware of it and pay attention to it, you begin to merge with it. Your experience of it will literally cause you to become it. And as you unfold deeper and deeper into this unified field, there's more and more for you to explore and experience. If you look at figure 11.11 again, as you move closer and closer to that straight line that represents source energy or oneness, it makes sense that the only way you can move closer to it is by keeping your attention on it and becoming more conscious of it. If you do this correctly, as you journey away from duality or separation and toward unity and oneness, since feelings are the end product of experience, you should feel more and more levels of love, unity and wholeness. Once you feel and experience more of this intelligent love, three things happen in your life. The first thing that happens is that as you place your attention and awareness on the unified field, as you move closer to source and deeper into it, you experience more of it. That journey carves a neurological path from your thinking brain straight to your autonomic nervous system. Now each time you venture deeper into it, as you slow your brainwaves down, you're building a neurological highway with more lanes and that neuro pathway becomes thicker because you are using it more. Over time, this enables you to more easily merge with the field. The second thing that happens is that because experience enriches the brain, each time you interact with this unified field and experience it, your brain changes. 
This is what experience does. It enriches and refines brain circuitry. Now you are installing the hardware in your brain to be more aware of this field the next time you merge with it. Likewise, since experience produces an emotion, as you feel the unified field, you begin to embody it. Thus you embody more of the divine. According to the quantum model of reality, since all disease is a lowering and incoherency of frequency, the moment the body experiences this new coherent elevated frequency, the energy from that event raises the body's vibration into coherence and order. Numerous times in our advanced workshops around the world, when our students' bodies have been upgraded by a new frequency and new information, we have witnessed instantaneous changes in their health. Since the autonomic nervous system's agenda is to create balance and health, the instant we get out of its way, stop analyzing, cease thinking and fully surrender, this intelligence steps in and creates order. But this time it's carrying a newer, more self-organizing message with a greater frequency from the unified field. That very same coherent energy raises the frequency of matter. It's like changing the frequency of a static-filled radio station to one that is carrying a clear frequency and signal. The body is receiving a more coherent signal. When this happens, you will feel intense love, a profound joy for existence, a heightened sense of freedom, indescribable bliss, an awe for life, elevated levels of gratitude, and a humbled sense of true empowerment. In that moment, the energy from the unified field, in the form of emotion, is reconditioning your body to a new consciousness and a new mind. In a heartbeat, the elevated emotions signal new genes and new ways, changing your body and moving it out of your biological past. The third thing that happens as you move closer toward the unified field is that you begin to hear or experience knowledge and information differently. That's because you've changed your brain circuits and are no longer the same person. You will meet truth on a whole new level and things that you thought you knew will seem like a brand new encounter. Your inner experience has changed your perception of what is happening in your outer world. In other words, you've awakened. Once you have an experience, a feeling, or better understanding of the unified field, once it changes your brain circuitry, it allows you to experience and perceive reality in new ways. In fact, you will see a spectrum of life that your brain did not have the circuitry to perceive before. The next time your brain fires those networks, you already have the hardware to experience even more of the reality. You are now perceiving more of a reality that has always existed. You merely lacked the circuits to perceive it previously. If on a consistent basis, you can make this journey all the way to source, see figure 11.11 again, and connect with it. The moment you truly interact with it, you will begin to behave more like it. Its nature becomes your nature.
and now more intelligent love is being expressed through you. What are its innate qualities? You will become more patient, forgiving, present, conscious, aware, willful, giving, selfless, loving and mindful, to name but a few of them. You realize that which you have been seeking is seeking you. You become it and it becomes you. The discipline then is to allow your consciousness to merge with a greater consciousness. Surrender deeper into intelligent love. Trust in the unknown. Continuously surrender some aspect of the limited self to join the greater self. Lose yourself in nothing to become everything. Relax into an infinite deep sea of coherent energy. Keep unfolding deeper and deeper into oneness. Continuously let go of control. Feel greater and greater degrees of wholeness. And finally, as a consciousness, moment by moment, become aware, pay attention to, experience, be present with, and feel more and more of this unified field all around you, without returning your awareness back to three-dimensional reality. If you do this properly, you won't be using any of your senses because you're beyond your senses. You'll simply be awareness. Space-time, time-space meditation. Begin by resting your awareness on your heart, and once you are locked in on the space your heart occupies in space, become aware of your breathing. Allow it to flow in and out of your heart, all the while deepening and relaxing your breath. Keeping your attention on your heart, call up an elevated emotion and sustain this feeling for a period of time while paying attention to your breathing. Radiate that energy beyond your body in space. Next, using any song that inspires you, like the one you used for the meditation in Chapter 5, do that meditation to pull the mind out of the body. Take all the energy stored in your body as survival emotions and liberate it into elevated emotions, using a level of intensity that is greater than the body as the mind. For the next 10 to 15 minutes, listen to one or two songs without lyrics that will induce trance. Now become pure consciousness, becoming no one, no body, no thing, nowhere, in no time, unfolding as an awareness into the unified field. Now it's time to become connected to the consciousness of every one, every body, everything, everywhere, in every time, unifying with a greater consciousness in the unified field. All you have to do is become aware of this field, pay attention to it, stay present with it, and feel it moment by moment. 
you will begin to feel more wholeness and oneness, which will be reflected in your biology, because your body is experiencing more coherent energy moving through it, and you are building your energy field. Maintain this state for about 10 to 20 minutes, surrendering deeper and deeper into it. When you're done, bring your awareness back to a new body, to a new environment, and to a whole new time. Chapter 12. The Pineal Gland As you now know, when we as a consciousness move beyond the world of the senses in this three-dimensional reality, we can tap into frequencies that carry specific information beyond the vibration of matter and the speed of light. When this happens, the brain processes extremely high amplitudes of energy. Time and time again, we've measured and observed this phenomenon in our advanced students' brain scans. You've also learned that when there is an increase in energy in the brain, there will always be an increase in consciousness and awareness, and vice versa. In fact, it's very difficult to determine whether it is the energy or the level of consciousness that causes these extreme measurements. But I don't think we can separate the two because you cannot have a change in energy without a change in consciousness or a change in frequency without a change in information. As you connect to deeper levels of the unified field, the brain is activated by a greater energy that carries specific information in the form of thoughts and imagery. The brain then literally tracks and records this profound inner event, and to the person having the experience, whatever is happening in their mind seems more real than any past external event. In that moment, the increased energy in the form of a profoundly powerful emotion captures all the mind's attention. This is the instant the brain and body receive a biological upgrade. If someone can sit in a chair with their eyes closed during meditation and have a significantly heightened sensory experience without their senses, it begs the question, what is happening in the brain to explain this supernatural effect. To the person having the experience, despite the fact that they're sitting still, it seems more real than any other experience determined by their senses that they've ever had. This begs more inquiry. How can we have a fully amplified sensory experience without our senses? What are the specific functions of the brain and body that translate interactions with the quantum field into profound inner experiences? In other words, if we can interface with a more coherent field of information, which then creates such stimulating inner events, there must be a neurological, chemical, and biological explanation for such supernatural occurrences. What are the unique systems, organs, glands, tissues, chemicals, neurotransmitters, and cells involved that could give rise to such intensely profound experiences? Could there be physiological components that are just sitting dormant, waiting to be activated? 
Four states of consciousness will help provide a framework for the information in this chapter. The first is wakefulness, which of course is when we are aware and conscious. Next is sleep, where we are unconscious and the body is restoring and repairing. Then comes dreaming, which is an altered state of consciousness when the body is catatonic, but our minds are engaged in inner visual imagery and symbolism. And finally, there are transcendental moments of consciousness that are beyond our understanding of reality. These transcendent events seem to change us and the way we look at the world forever. I want to give you my best understanding about the biology, chemistry and neuroscience of those transcendental experiences. Let's start with the molecule melatonin, which is responsible for all of this. Melatonin, the dreaming neurotransmitter. When you wake up in the morning and return to the world of the senses, the moment your eye perceives light through your iris, receptors in the optic nerve send a signal to a part of your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. It then sends a signal to the pineal gland which responds by making serotonin, the daytime neurotransmitter. As you will recall, neurotransmitters are chemical messengers that transmit and communicate information between nerve cells. The neurotransmitter serotonin tells your body it's time to wake up and start your day. As you integrate information between all your senses in order to create meaning between your inner and outer world, serotonin stimulates your brain waves from delta to theta to alpha to beta causing you once again to realize you're in a physical body in space and time. Thus, when your brain is firing in beta brainwaves, you put much of your attention on your outer environment, your body and time. That's normal. As night falls and it gets dark, a similar but inverse process occurs. The inhibition of light sends a signal along the same route back to the pineal gland, but now the pineal gland transmutes serotonin into melatonin, the nighttime neurotransmitter. This production and release of melatonin slows down your brain waves from beta to alpha, making you sleepy, tired, and less likely to want to think or analyze. As your brain waves slow down to alpha, you become more interested in returning your attention to your inner world rather than your outer world. Eventually, as your body falls asleep and goes into a catatonic state, your brain waves move from alpha to theta to delta, thus inducing periods of dreaming as well as deep, restorative sleep. By living within the rhythm of our external environment, within this diurnal pattern of wakefulness and sleep, based on where we live in the world, our brain becomes automatically entrained to the daily production of these chemicals at very specific times in the morning and evening. This is called the circadian rhythm. Most of us know that when we move out of this natural rhythm, we become out of sorts, such as when we travel to another part of the world where the sun rises and sets several hours ahead of our normal time zone. This is jet lag, and we need some time to recalibrate. When the body gets out of its natural circadian rhythm, 
It will usually take a few days to readjust to the new environment's rhythm of sunrise and sunset. This is all chemistry produced from our interaction with our external, three-dimensional world, from our eyes' reaction to the sun and the frequency of visible light. Melatonin induces rapid eye movement, REM sleep, a phase of the circadian rhythm that causes dreaming. As the thoughts and chatter in our head diminish, giving way to sleep and eventually the dreaming state, the brain begins to internally see and perceive in images, pictures and symbols. But before we get into why melatonin is so important, let's take a closer look at the molecular structure of this dreaming neurotransmitter. The process of creating melatonin starts with the essential amino acid L-tryptophan, the raw material responsible for making serotonin and melatonin. To be converted into melatonin, it must pass through a series of chemical changes known as methylation. Methylation is the process of taking a single carbon and three hydrogens, known as a methyl group, and applying it to countless critical functions throughout our body, such as thinking, repairing DNA, turning genes on and off, fighting infections, and so on. In this case, it's part of the production of melatonin. In figure 12.1, we see methylation in action. Because this methyl group is made up of very stable chemicals, the basic structure of the five- and six-sided rings stay the same during this series of chemical reactions. However, as different groups of molecules attach to those rings, they change the properties and characteristics of the molecule. Beginning with L-tryptophan, the pineal gland transmutes it into 5-hydroxytryptophan, 5-HTP, which then becomes serotonin. Serotonin is a more stable molecule than 5-HTP, can sustain itself in the brain, and has a more useful function, as we'll soon see. Through another chemical reaction, the pineal gland converts serotonin into N-acetylserotonin, and then an additional reaction turns it into melatonin. And all of this happens in the pineal gland. In a 24-hour cycle, the production of melatonin is highest between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. This is important to remember. We now know there's an inverse relationship between our adrenal hormones and melatonin. As adrenal cortisol levels go up, melatonin levels go down. This is the reason why we can't sleep when we're under stress. In antiquity, this served as a biological safety mechanism. For instance, if you were chased by a predator a few times on the way to the watering hole, and then you spotted more large beasts in your territory, your body, in its innate intelligence, would want to prevent you from becoming prey yourself. In such cases, sleep and restoration become less important than surviving. More aptly put, staying alive by remaining awake through the night is more valuable than sleeping and risking death. When the body is trying to rest in this vigilant state, it never gets the restorative sleep it needs because the survival chemicals, like cortisol, have switched on the survival genes. 
If the perceived stressor is not a saber-toothed tiger, but instead your strained relationship with your ex-spouse, whom you must interact with daily, that chronic stress keeps the survival system activated. Now this safety valve is no longer adaptive, but maladaptive. This type of chronic stress alters typical levels of melatonin, and even serotonin, knocking the body out of homeostasis. But if you lower the levels of cortisol, melatonin levels will increase. In other words, when you break the stress response by overcoming the emotional addiction to those chemicals, your body can go back to long-term building projects instead of constantly dealing with the perceived emergency. Take a look at figure 12.2 to review the relationship between melatonin and cortisol. Melatonin has many other interesting applications. For example, it's been proven to improve carbohydrate metabolism. This is important because when certain people respond to stress, the body takes carbohydrates and stores them as fat. And fat is nothing more than stored energy. This is a result of primitive genes signaling the body to store energy in case there's a famine. Melatonin has also been known to help with depression. It's even been proven to increase levels of DHEA, the anti-aging hormone. For more facts about the importance of melatonin, the dreaming neurotransmitter, see figure 12.3. Now, let's deepen your understanding of all the information you've been studying in this book up until this point. Activating the pineal gland For years I spent enormous amounts of time studying the pineal gland and seeking researchers who did extensive measurements of its metabolites and tissue. My interest was in tying together my findings with some ancient mysteries. One abstract in particular piqued my interest. The pineal gland is a neuroendocrine transducer secreting melatonin responsible for physiological circadian rhythm control. A new form of biomineralization has been studied in the human pineal gland and consists of small crystals that are less than 20 microns in length. These crystals are responsible for electromechanical biological transduction mechanism in the pineal gland due to the structure and piezoelectric properties. That's a lot of words to digest, but let's break it down into two meaningful points. The key words here, in reverse order, are piezoelectric properties and transducer. The piezoelectric effect occurs when you apply pressure to certain materials and the mechanical stress is changed into an electrical charge. To put it in simple terms, the pineal gland contains calcite crystals made of calcium, carbon and oxygen and because of their structure they express this effect. Like an antenna, the pineal gland has the capacity to become electrically activated and generate electromagnetic fields that can tune in to information. That's point number one. In addition, in the same way an antenna pulsates a rhythm or frequency to match the frequency of an incoming signal, 
the pineal gland receives information carried on invisible electromagnetic fields. Since all frequency carries information, once the antenna connects to the exact signal of the electromagnetic field, there must be a way to convert and descramble that signal into a meaningful message. That's exactly what a transducer does. And that's the second point. A transducer is anything that receives a signal in the form of one type of energy and converts it into a signal in another form. Take a moment to look around you. The space you are sitting in is filled with TV, radio and Wi-Fi waves that are all different frequency ranges of invisible electromagnetic energy. You can't see any of them with your eyes, but they're still there. For example, the antenna that picks up a range of frequencies carrying a signal to your TV is transduced into a picture on your TV screen. When you tune in to an FM station, you are tuning your antenna to a specific electromagnetic frequency. The information carried in that frequency range is then transduced into a coherent signal, which is the music you hear with your ears. The study I quoted says the pineal gland is a neuroendocrine transducer capable of receiving and converting signals within the brain. When the pineal gland acts as a transducer, it can pick up frequencies above our three-dimensional space-time sensory-based reality. Once the pineal gland is activated, it can tune into higher dimensions of this space and time which we learned in the previous chapter is the realm of time-space. And like a TV, it can then turn the information carried on those frequencies into vivid imagery and surreal, lucid, transcendental experiences in our mind, including profoundly heightened multi-sensory visions beyond our vocabulary. This is a bit like experiencing a multi-dimensional IMAX movie. At this point, you may be wondering, since this little gland exists inside my skull, how am I going to exert mechanical stress on the crystals in it, create a piezoelectric effect, and activate the pineal gland so it becomes like an antenna? And how will that antenna pick up frequencies and information beyond matter and light so that it can transduce those electromagnetic signatures into a meaningful imagery? like a transcendental experience beyond this three-dimensional reality. For the pineal gland to become activated, four important things must happen. I will address three of them now, and then I will give you the fourth step when it's time to learn the meditation. 1. The piezoelectric effect Critical to creating the piezoelectric effect in the pineal gland are the calcite crystals mentioned above and shown in figure 12.4. Remember, these are very tiny crystals, approximately 1 to 20 microns in length. To put this in context, their size can range anywhere from one hundredth to one quarter the width of a human hair. For the most part, they are octahedron, hexahedron and rhombohedron in shape. As we already learned in Chapter 5, the purpose of the breathing technique we do before many meditations 
is to pull the mind out of the body by liberating potential energy, stored as emotions, in the lower three energy centers. As we inhale and contract those intrinsic muscles, follow our breath from the perineum all the way up our spine to the top of our head, and then hold our breath and squeeze those muscles more. We're increasing intrathecal pressure. As I mentioned earlier in the book, this is the internal pressure created when you push up against your insides. For example, when you hold your breath and lift something heavy. The word piezoelectric is derived from the Greek words piezion, which means to squeeze or press, and piezo, which means to push. So it's no coincidence that I ask you to hold your breath and squeeze those intrinsic muscles. When you do this, you are pushing cerebrospinal fluid up against the pineal gland, exerting mechanical stress on it. This mechanical stress translates into an electrical charge, and it's this exact action that compresses the stacked crystals in the pineal gland and creates a piezoelectric effect. The crystals of the pineal gland generate an electric charge in response to the stress you're applying. One of the unique characteristics of the piezoelectric effect is that it's reversible, meaning that the materials exhibiting the direct piezoelectric effect, the crystals, also exhibit a converse piezoelectric effect. Once the crystals in the gland are compressed and are creating an electrical charge, the electromagnetic field that is emanating from the pineal gland causes the crystals in it to stretch as the field increases. When the crystals generating the electromagnetic field reach their limit and can stretch no further, they contract and the electromagnetic field reverses direction and moves inward toward the pineal gland. When the electromagnetic field reaches the pineal gland crystals, it compresses them again, producing yet another electromagnetic field. This cycle of expanding and reversing the field perpetuates a pulsating electromagnetic field. It's no wonder, then, that I ask you to hold your breath, squeeze and contract those muscles. And it's no surprise that I insist you repeat this process over and over. As you keep doing the breath and holding and squeezing again and again, with every cycle of breathing, you are activating the piezoelectric properties of the pineal gland. The more you do this, the more you speed up the cycles per second of the expansion and contraction of this electromagnetic field, making the pulses get faster and faster. Now the pineal gland becomes a pulsating antenna, capable of picking up subtler and subtler, faster electromagnetic frequencies. Take a close look at figure 12.5. We talked about the movement of cerebrospinal fluid during the breath in chapter 5, but let's build on the teaching. As the fluid enters the brain, it moves up through the central canal, through the space between the spinal column and the spinal cord. From this juncture, it flows in two directions. First, the fluid moves into the fourth ventricle, followed by the third ventricle. 
As the fluid travels from the fourth to the third ventricle, it passes through a narrow path or channel, and nestled right at the back of the third ventricle rests what looks like a tiny pine cone. That's what pineal means. This is the pineal gland, and it's about the size of a large grain of rice. Second, the cerebrospinal fluid also flows around the back of the cerebellum to the other side of the pineal gland, surrounding the entire gland with pressurized fluid. By increasing the intrathecal pressure, you funnel a greater volume of fluid into the chamber of the third ventricle, as well as from the space around the cerebellum. So when you hold your breath and squeeze, this extra volume of fluid exerts pressure from both directions up against the crystals, causing them to compress and create the piezoelectric effect. This is the first event that must take place to activate the pineal gland. 2. The pineal gland releases its metabolites. Cerebrospinal fluid moves through a closed system called the ventricular system. Review figure 12.5. The ventricular system facilitates the movement of this fluid from the base of the spine up through the spinal column through the four chambers of the brain called aqueducts or ventricles and back down to the sacrum, the base of the spine. When you inhale and follow your breath to the top of your head and then hold your breath and squeeze up and in, you are accelerating the cerebrospinal fluid. On the surface of the pineal gland are tiny hairs called cilia, Latin for eyelashes, see figure 12.6. The action of the accelerated fluid moving faster than normal through the chambers of the ventricular system tickles the tiny hairs which overstimulates the pineal gland. Because the pineal gland is shaped like a phallus, the stimulation produced by the acceleration of fluid moving past it, combined with the electrical activation created by an increase in intrathecal pressure in a closed system, causes the gland to ejaculate some very profound, upgraded metabolites of melatonin into the brain you're now one step closer to activating the pineal gland and having a transcendental experience. 3. Energy is delivered directly to the brain. Much like sending a rocket ship into space, overcoming gravity to get it off the ground is the part that requires the most energy. So to move that energy from our lower centers demands a great deal of intensity and effort. The breath becomes our passionate intention to free ourselves from the self-limiting emotions of our past. The spinal column becomes the delivery mechanism for this energy, and the top of the head becomes the target. As you know by now, every time you perform the breath, you send charged particles up the spinal column. As these particles increase in velocity and acceleration, they create what's known as an inductance field. See figure 12.7. This inductance field reverses the flow of two-way information that typically facilitates communication from the brain to the body and the body to the brain. Much like a vacuum, the inductance field draws the energy from those lower centers, energy involved with orgasm, consumption, digestion, fight-or-flight stress, 
and control and delivers it directly to the brainstem in a spiraling motion. As the energy travels up through each vertebrae, it passes the nerves that run from the spinal cord to different parts of the body, and some of that energy is then transferred through the peripheral nerves that affect the tissues and organs of the body. The current that runs along these nerve channels activates the body's meridian system, resulting in all other systems of the body getting more energy. Once the energy reaches the brain stem, it must pass through the reticular formation. It's the job of the reticular formation to constantly edit information going from the brain to the body, as well as from the body to the brain. This formation is part of a system called the Reticular Activating System, RAS, which is responsible for levels of wakefulness. For instance, when you wake up from a deep sleep because you hear a sound in your house, it's the RAS that alerts you and arouses you. That's its rudimentary function. However, as the sympathetic nervous system is activated and merges with the parasympathetic nervous system, Instead of depleting the body's stored energy, it releases that energy back to the brain. Once this energy reaches the brain stem, the thalamic gate opens like a door and energy moves through the reticular formation to the thalamus, where it relays information to the neocortex. Now the reticular formation is open and you experience greater levels of awareness. In a sense, you become more conscious and awakened. Think of the thalamus as a big train station with tracks leading to higher centers of the brain. That's how the brain goes into gamma brainwave patterns. As a side note, there are two individual thalami in the midbrain, one on each side, which feed each hemisphere in the neocortex. The pineal gland sits right between them, facing the back of the brain. See figure 12.8. When the energy reaches each thalamic junction, remember the thalamus is like a relay station to all other parts of the brain, these thalami send a message directly to the pineal gland to secrete its metabolites into the brain. The effect is that the thinking neocortex becomes aroused and goes into higher brainwave patterns like gamma. The nature of those chemical derivatives of melatonin relaxes the body and at the same time awakens the mind. If you remember, when you're in beta brainwaves, your sympathetic nervous system is aroused for an emergency in your outer world and utilizes energy to survive. The difference with gamma brainwaves is that instead of losing vital energy, you're liberating and creating more energy in your body. You're not in any emergency or survival state when this occurs. You're in bliss, and your sympathetic nervous system is switching on to arouse you to pay more attention to whatever is happening within your mind. In Chapter 5, I said that when energy moves from the body to the brain, a torus field is created around the body. As you run a current up your spinal column by accelerating the movement of cerebrospinal fluid, your body becomes like a magnet and you create an electromagnetic field around it. A torus field represents a dynamic flow of energy. 
At the same time the torus field is moving up, out, and around your body, when the pineal gland becomes activated, a reverse torus field of electromagnetic energy is drawing energy into your body through the top of your head. Since all frequency carries information, now your pineal gland is receiving information from beyond the visible light field and from beyond your senses. See figure 12.9. When these three happenings occur in tandem, it's going to feel like you're having an orgasm in your head. You've now created an antenna in your brain, and this antenna is picking up information from realms beyond matter and beyond space and time. Information is no longer coming from your senses or your eyes' interaction with your environment. Instead, you're getting information from the quantum field moving to another eye, your third eye, from the pineal gland in the back of your brain. When melatonin gets an upgrade, magic happens. When your pineal gland, or the third eye, is awakened, because it is picking up higher frequencies, these higher energies alter the chemistry of melatonin. The higher the frequency, the greater the alteration. It's this translation of information into chemistry that primes you for those transcendental, mystical moments. Now you're opening the door to higher dimensions of space and time. This is why I like to call the pineal gland an alchemist, because it transmutes melatonin into some very profound, radical neurotransmitters. Take a look at figure 12.10. As higher frequencies and higher states of consciousness interact with the pineal gland, one of the first things to happen is that these frequencies transmute melatonin into chemicals called benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines are a class of drugs from which Valium is created that anesthetize the analytical mind, so all of a sudden the thinking brain relaxes and stops analyzing. According to functional brain scans, benzodiazepines suppress neural activity in the amygdala, the brain's survival center. This limits chemicals that cause you to feel fear, anger, agitation, aggression, sadness, or pain. Now your body feels calm and relaxed, but your mind is awakened. Another chemical created from melatonin produces a class of very powerful antioxidants called pinolines. See figure 12.10. Pinolines are important because they attack free radicals, which harm your cells and cause aging. These antioxidants are anti-cancer, anti-aging, anti-heart disease, anti-stroke, anti-neurodegenerative, anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial. That's a perfect formula to upgrade melatonin's normal role as an antioxidant to the role of a supercharged antioxidant that further restores and heals the body to a greater degree than the melatonin molecule normally does. See the powerful antioxidants listed in figure 12.10 that are all produced from metabolites of melatonin. If you take that molecule and tweak it again into a cousin of melatonin, 
you find the same chemical that makes animals hibernate. When melatonin, which makes us sleepy and dreamy, alters just slightly into this more powerful molecule, it carries a message to extend rest and repair even further. This message also causes the body's metabolism to slow, in some cases for months. It makes sense, then, that when mammals hibernate, they break the typical habits of their habitat. For example, they lose their sex drive, their appetite, their interest in or need to move about in their environment, and their connection to social networks. They hide to protect themselves and to feel safe, and during this time of going within, their body goes into stasis. The same might be true for us as these values elevate. Because the body is no longer the mind, we temporarily lose our interest in the outer world. And because we have no biological drives and aren't distracted with bodily needs, we're able to move more fully into the present moment and go deeply within. If you're going to dream the dream of the future, wouldn't it be a good idea to get your body out of the way? If you take that molecule and advance it yet again, you produce the same chemical found in electric eels, a phosphorescent, bioluminescent chemical that amplifies energy in the nervous system. You can refer to figure 12.10 again. This chemical can be powerful enough to cause a significant shock. I have a strong hunch this is the rare chemical that influences the brain to process those increased amplitudes of energy that we have repeatedly measured in our students. Just imagine an electric eel that literally lights up with energy when it gets stimulated. That's what happens in the brain when it gets activated but the energy and information that are created do not come from an experience in our environment that we perceive through our senses, but instead from within the brain, caused by an upgrade in frequency. When we see those high energy levels in the brain, we know that the person is having a profound, subjective experience that can be measured objectively. Think about that for a moment via sensory input from our environment through our eyes the pineal gland makes serotonin and melatonin this visible light coming from the sun causes us to move into harmony with our environment which we call the circadian rhythm as a result of this process serotonin and melatonin carry information equal to the frequency coming from the physical world because we perceive visible light through our senses those molecules are inherent to humans, thus they are equivalent to the realm of our three-dimensional reality. Remember, as Einstein said, that the ceiling of this material world is the speed of light. But what happens as the brain processes an increase in frequency and information from a realm beyond the senses and beyond the speed of light? Is it possible that information and energy coming from the unified field change the chemistry of melatonin to become another chemical counterpart in the brain. And could our brain translate those frequencies into a message? If 
Energy is the epiphenomenon of matter. It makes sense that the information coming from a frequency faster than visible light would be able to alter the molecular structure of melatonin into profound elixirs within our brain. The pineal gland is responsible for translating that information into a chemical variation of melatonin. Therefore, that molecule carries a different message equal to that frequency. That new frequency is now influencing an enhanced superchemical. That's no longer natural, that's supernatural. Melatonin gets an upgrade. Not only does this phosphorescent, bioluminescent chemical increase the energy in the brain, but it enhances the imagery the mind internally perceives so that everything looks as though it's made of vivid, surreal, luminescent light. As a result, people have reported experiencing colors they've never seen before because they exist outside their known experience of the visible light spectrum. These colors appear as profound, otherworldly, glowing lights in a technicolor, lucid, opalescent world of suspended beauty. Everything appears as if it's emitting beautiful light made of vivid, radiant energy that you can feel. This world of golden, shimmering, bright halos within and around everything appears more illuminated than your sensory-based reality. And of course, it will be difficult to take your attention off all its beauty. Because all your attention is on this experience, it will seem as though you are actually there, totally present in this other world or dimension. Take a look at figure 12.10 again. Alter melatonin one more time and you produce the chemical dimethyltryptamine, DMT, one of the most powerful hallucinogenic substances known to man. This is the same chemical found in ayahuasca, a traditional spiritual plant medicine used in ceremonies by the indigenous people of the Amazon. DMT's primary active ingredient is said to create spiritual visions and profound insights into the mystery of the self. When ayahuasca or other plant chemicals containing this molecule are ingested, the body receives only DMT, but when the pineal gland is activated, it receives the whole blend of aforementioned chemicals, and this causes some very profound inner experiences. Some of these experiences have been reported to create profound time dilation, time appears infinite, time travel, journeys to paranormal realms, visions of complex geometric patterns, encounters with spiritual beings, and other mystical interdimensional realities. Many of our students during the pineal gland meditation report amazing encounters beyond their known physical world. When these chemicals are released in the brain, the mind has experiences that appear more real than anything that person has ever encountered in their sensory-based reality. This new dimension is difficult to articulate with language. The novel experience that results will occur as a complete unknown, and if you surrender to it, it's 
always worth it. Tuning in to higher dimensions, the pineal gland as a transducer. Depending on the translation you're using, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 22, Jesus said, If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. I believe he was talking about activating the pineal gland, because this allows us to experience a broader spectrum of reality. Many of our students can attest to the fact that when their pineal gland becomes activated, when they fully connect with the unified field, their whole body becomes filled with energy and light. Beginning from the cosmic field, energy from beyond their senses enters through the top of their head and travels down throughout their whole body. When this occurs, they experience downloadable information beyond their memory base or the predictable knowns of their daily lives, and it all begins with the chemical alteration of melatonin in the pineal gland. In all of my research about the pineal gland, I've evolved my own understanding of it into the following definition. The pineal gland is a crystalline superconductor that sends, as well as receives, information through the transduction of energetic vibrational signals, frequency beyond the senses, also known as the quantum field, and translates it into biological tissue, the brain and the mind, in the form of meaningful imagery, the same way as an antenna translates different channels onto a TV screen. When the pineal gland is activated, because you now have this tiny antenna in your brain, the higher the frequency it picks up, the more energy it exerts towards altering and transmuting the chemistry of melatonin. As a result of this change in chemistry, you're going to get a very different experience from what melatonin normally produces. Perhaps a better way to say it is that you're going to get a clearer picture. Think of it this way. The higher the frequency, the more your experience will feel like you've gone from the picture of a 1960s television screen to a 360-degree IMAX 3D experience, complete with surround sound. Melatonin, the dreaming neurotransmitter, evolves into a more powerfully lucid neurotransmitter to make our dreams more real. Throughout this process, the pineal gland has a co-conspirator called the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland looks like a pear, and it sits behind the bridge of the upper nose, right in the middle of the brain. The front, anterior, part of it is responsible for making most of the chemicals that influence the glands and hormones associated with each of our energy centers. Once the pineal gland is activated and it releases certain upgraded metabolites, the back, posterior, of the pituitary gland awakens, causing it to produce two important chemicals, oxytocin and vasopressin. The first chemical, oxytocin, is known to produce elevated emotions that cause your heart to swell with love and joy. It's been referred to as the chemical of emotional connection or the bonding hormone. When oxytocin levels are elevated above normal, most people experience intense feelings of love 
forgiveness, compassion, joy, wholeness and empathy. Not an inner state you'd probably be willing to trade for something outside of you. These states are, after all, the beginning of unconditional love. When oxytocin levels go up beyond a certain level, research shows that it's difficult to hold a grudge. In a study conducted by scientists at the University of Zurich, 49 participants played a variation of what is known as the trust game 12 consecutive times. In this game, an investor with a certain amount of money must decide either to keep it or to share some of it with another player called the trustee. Whatever sum the investor shares with the trustee is automatically tripled. The trustee is then faced with the decision keep all the money, leaving the investor with nothing, or share the tripled sum with the investor, who is obviously hoping to make a profit. Basically, the either-or decision comes down to betrayal. While a selfish act is a win for the trustee, it leaves the investor at a loss. But what if oxytocin is introduced into the equation? In the study, the researchers gave some players a squirt of oxytocin in their nose before the game, giving the others a squirt of placebo. The researchers then took fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging, scans of the investors' brains as they made their decisions regarding the amount to invest and whether or not to trust. After the first six rounds, the investors were given feedback on their investments and were notified that their trust had been betrayed about half of the time. The participants who received the placebo before playing the game felt angry and betrayed, so they invested much less in the closing six rounds. The participants who received a squirt of oxytocin, however, invested the same amount as they had in the first rounds, despite having been betrayed. The fMRI scans showed the key areas of the brain affected were the amygdala, associated with fear, anxiety, stress and aggression, and the dorsal striatum, which guides future behaviours based on positive feedback. Participants who received the oxytocin had much lower activity in the amygdala, equating to less anger and fear of being betrayed again, as well as less fear of financial loss. They also had much lower activity in the dorsal striatum, meaning they no longer needed to rely on positive results to make future decisions. As this study demonstrates, the moment the posterior pituitary releases its chemicals and oxytocin levels go up, this shuts down the survival centers in the brain's amygdala, meaning it cools off the circuits for fear, sadness, pain, anxiety, aggression and anger then the only thing we feel is a love for life. We've measured the levels of oxytocin in our students before and after our workshops. At the conclusion of the event, some of them had elevated their levels significantly. When we interviewed those students, many of them kept saying, I'm just so in love with my life and everyone in it. I never want this feeling to go away. I want to remember this feeling forever. This is who I really am. The other chemical the pituitary gland makes as the pineal gland is activated is called vasopressin, 
or antidiuretic hormone. As vasopressin levels go up, the body naturally retains fluids, causing the body to become more water-based. This is important because if you're going to process a greater frequency, you need water to act as a conduit to better handle the higher frequency in the body and to then translate that frequency into your cells. The moment vasopressin goes up, it creates a more stable thyroid gland, which affects the thymus and the heart, which affects the adrenals, which affects the pancreas, which produces a chain cascade of positive effects all the way down to the sexual organs. When we tune in to these higher frequencies, we have access to a different kind of light, a frequency faster than visible light, and all of a sudden we are activating a greater intelligence within us. Now because the pineal gland is activated, we can pick up higher frequencies, which in turn produces a change in chemistry. The higher the frequency we pick up, the more it alters our chemistry, which means the more visual, hallucinogenic and higher energy experiences we have. The crystals in our pineal gland, acting like a cosmic antenna, are the doorway to these higher vibrational realms of light and information. This is how we have internal experiences that are more real than our external ones. These pineal metabolite chemicals your body produces fit into the same receptor sites as serotonin and melatonin, but they carry a very different chemical message from a realm beyond sensory-based material reality. As a result, the brain is now primed for a mystical experience, opening the door to other dimensions and moving the individual from space-time reality to a time-space reality. Since all frequency carries a message, and that message is a change in chemistry, once the pineal gland gets activated and you start experiencing and processing these higher frequencies, energies and elevated levels of consciousness, they often present themselves as complex, changing, geometric patterns, usually perceived in the mind's eye. This is good. This is information. When you have these mystical experiences, because your nervous system is so coherent, it's able to tune in to these super-coherent messages. In the darkness of the void, the pineal gland becomes the vortex for these very organized patterns and packets of information. And as you place your attention on them, just like a kaleidoscope, they constantly change and evolve. The same way a TV picks up frequencies and turns them into pictures on the screen, the pineal gland chemically transduces higher frequencies into vivid, surreal images. In graphic 13 in the color insert, you can see some of these geometric patterns which are called divine or sacred geometry. Such patterns have been around for thousands of years. In Chapter 8, I mentioned that these patterns appear to look like ancient mandalas. They're energy and information in the form of frequency, and if you can surrender to them, your brain, via the pineal gland, will transduce those forms, messages, and information into very vivid pictures, imagery, or lucid experiences. The best thing to do when you see or experience these patterns 
is to surrender to them and not try to make anything happen. These patterns and forms usually do not appear as two-dimensional or static. Instead, they are alive, have depth and comprise mathematical and very coherent fractal patterns, never-ending and infinitely complex. Another way to see this is through the concept of cymatics. Derived from the Greek word for wave, cymatics are a phenomenon based on vibration or frequency. Here's a way to picture them. Imagine if you took the cover of an old speaker box and laid it flat. If you filled that speaker with fluid, shined a light on it, and began playing classical music up through it, the frequency and vibration of the music would eventually create coherent standing waves. These waves would interfere with each other and eventually create geometric patterns within patterns within patterns. As with a kaleidoscope, you would see these evolving geometric arrangements become more highly organized. The difference between the images in the kaleidoscope and cymatics is that the images in the kaleidoscope appear two-dimensional. Geometric patterns such as cymatics, however, appear to be alive and are three-dimensional or even multi-dimensional. In addition to water, the vibrational effects of cymatics are translatable to sand and air. In other words, these three mediums pick up vibration and frequency and turn them into coherent geometric patterns. If you search, you can find several videos showing this on YouTube. When your pineal gland picks up information, it's picking up these same types of waves in the environment around you. These coherent, highly organized standing waves that exist beyond the visible light spectrum are constantly being consolidated into packets of information and transduced into images by your pineal gland. They are just patterns of information that are intersecting in a very coherent way, and when you put your awareness on them, they change and evolve to become increasingly more fractal, intricate, beautiful and divine. It's all information, and just like a transducer, your pineal gland takes that information and descrambles it into imagery. This is one of the reasons I decided to use the kaleidoscope as a tool in our advanced events, to train students' brains to be disarmed when they experience this mode of complex imagery, as well as to more easily recognize and open up to receiving this type of information. Additionally, as the kaleidoscope causes the brain to move into alpha or theta brainwaves and you become more suggestible, you can see how gazing into it in a state of trance primes your subconscious mind for a mystical experience. Once your pineal gland picks up the imagery, fasten your seatbelts because things are going to get exciting. You might come out of your body and travel down a tunnel of light or your entire body might become filled with light. You might even feel like you've become the entire universe, and when looking down at your body, even find yourself wondering how you're going to get back into it. When you start having these very profound, unknown experiences, you have one of two choices. You can contract in fear because it's the unknown, or you can surrender and trust because it's the unknown. The more you surrender and trust, 
the deeper and more profound your experiences become. And because the experience is so profound, you're not going to want to rouse yourself back to wakefulness, thereby changing your brainwaves back to beta. Instead, this is the time to surrender, relax, and go even deeper into this transcendental state of consciousness. In this moment, you are not sleeping, you are not awake, you are not dreaming. You are transcendent of this reality. If your brain chemistry is right, your body will be totally and completely sedated. This is what we are training for, to experience greater levels of wholeness, oneness, love and higher consciousness. But there's more. Alteration in chemistry creates a new reality. Imagine if in this moment all your senses were increased by 25%. If that were the case, everything you were seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and feeling would cause you to become more aware of everything around you. If awareness and consciousness are the same, then as your consciousness is heightened, the energy your brain is receiving would also be increased. Because you can't have a change in consciousness without a change in energy, or vice versa. As your brain connects to a different frequency that is processing a new stream of consciousness, it is literally turning on, and because your senses feel amplified, you've produced an elevated level of awareness. The higher the energy or frequency, the greater the alteration in your chemistry, and the greater the alteration in your chemistry, the more lucid your experience will be. So when you're in this transcendental state, you feel more awake and more aware than you are in your day-to-day -day reality. As your awareness amplifies, you would feel as if you were truly in that transcendental reality. If you're picking up information from beyond your senses, information that is not originating from visible light or the sun, then it makes sense that it's called the third eye. Because you had such a profound internal experience, and since new experiences assemble new neural networks, that experience enriches the circuitry in your brain. As your body processes these higher energies, that energy alters your chemistry, and if the end result of an experience is an emotion, then this experience creates elevated feelings and emotions. When it's activated, you are seeing with a different eye, with inner vision. If the accumulation of feelings equals an emotion, and emotion is energy, then we know that when you experience survival emotions, because they are a lowering of frequency, you feel more like the density of matter and chemistry. But as you experience these higher states of consciousness, because they vibrate at a higher frequency, you will begin to feel less like matter or chemistry and more like energy. That's why I call this energy in the form of feelings elevated emotions. If the environment signals the genes in a cell, and experiences from the environment creates emotions, and emotions are the chemical feedback from the experience in the environment, then if nothing ever changes in the external environment, 
nothing changes in the internal environment of the body, which is still the outer environment of the cell. For example, when you live by the same self-limiting emotions for years, your body never biologically changes because it doesn't know the difference between the emotion coming from the outer environment and the emotion coming from your inner environment. Instead, the body believes it is living in the same environmental conditions because the same emotions are producing the same chemical signals. Just as the body lives in an external environment in which nothing is changing, the cell too lives in a chemical environment in which nothing is changing. But when you start having these internal experiences of heightened awareness and expanded consciousness, experiences that are more real and sensory than any in the past, the moment you feel that new heightened emotion or ecstatic energy, you've altered your internal state, and as a result, you're going to pay more attention to the images of the reality created within you. And if you have a new experience that is so real it captures all the brain's attention, that new experience, or awakening, embosses the event neurologically in your brain. That new emotion now creates a long-term memory, and those new emotions signal new genes. But this time the experience that's creating the long-term memory is not coming from your outer environment, it is coming from your inner environment which is still the outer environment of the cell. Because the event is so powerful that you cannot not be aware, therefore, the higher the energy, the higher the consciousness. The higher the consciousness, the greater the awareness. The greater the awareness, the broader experience of reality you have. As we know, all perception is based on how the brain is wired from our experiences in the past. We don't perceive things in our reality the way they are. We perceive reality the way we are. If you just had an internal experience in which you saw profound, mystical beings, witnessed a glow, a halo, or light around everything, felt the wholeness, oneness, and interconnectedness of everything and everyone, or experienced a completely different time and space, when you open your eyes after the experience, your spectrum of reality in your waking state will be broadened. That's because the inner experience changed your brain and now you're neurologically wired to perceive a greater expression of reality. This is how you begin to change who you are from the inside out. This is how you alter your experience of the three-dimensional world of matter. Evolution on both an individual and a species level is a slow process. You have experiences, you get hurt, you learn your lesson, you grow a little bit. Then you have some more pain, you get the next lesson, you move on to the next challenge, you succeed and achieve goals, you set more goals, you grow again and the cycle continues. It's a slow process because you're not receiving much new information from your outer environment. But once you have these unknown internal experiences that are more real than anything in your external world, you can never again see reality in the same manner because the experience changes you so profoundly.
Another way to say it is that you receive an upgrade or a software update. If all of the reality you perceived is based on your experiences, and you've just had an interdimensional experience, your brain is now going to be able to perceive what has always existed, but you have never before had the brain circuitry to perceive. If you continuously have these expansive experiences, you will continuously experience a broader and broader spectrum of reality. This lifts the veil of illusion, and when that veil is lifted, you can see reality as it truly is, vibrating, shining, connected, and shimmering in luminescent light. And energy is driving the whole process. You're now tuning in to a greater spectrum of information where all of a sudden everything looks and feels different than it did when you saw it simply as matter, and your relationship changes. This is how the mystics and masters made their way by tuning into their inner world and thus broadening their perception of the nature of reality in their outer world. Imagine who you could become if you stopped living by the hallmarks of the lower three energy centers, including survival, fear, pain, separation, anger, and competition, and instead live from the heart and operate it out of love, oneness, and connection to all things, both seen and unseen. By having enough interdimensional experiences from information beyond the senses, the mystics and the masters no longer saw equal to the genes they were born with. They no longer processed things the way the brain they'd been given at birth had been wired, the way the human brain has been imprinted for thousands of years. Instead, because of their interaction with the field, they created the awareness, the circuitry, and the mind to perceive a different reality, one that's always been there. These mythic and magical properties of the pineal gland, the brain's alchemist, are certainly not new information, although it seems modern science is just now catching up to what ancient civilizations have always known. Melatonin Mathematics, Ancient Symbols, and the Pineal Gland On July 23, 2011, a crop circle that looks very much like the chemical structure of melatonin appeared in the English countryside in Roundway near Devizes, Wiltshire. See figure 12.11. Is the crop circle an elaborate hoax? Or is somebody somewhere in another dimension trying to tell us something. As you read this section, you can decide for yourself whether such things happen by coincidence or intelligent design. The brain has two hemispheres, and if you divided them in half by slicing the brain down the middle, you would perform what is known as a sagittal cut. When looking at a sagittal cut in figure 12.12, Pay particular attention to the location and collective formation of the pineal gland, thalamus, hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and corpus callosum. Does that formation remind you of anything? Meant to signify protection, power, and good health, it's the ancient Egyptian symbol called the Eye of Horus. 
Is it possible that there was an ancient teaching about the autonomic nervous system, the reticular activating system, the thalamic gate, and the pineal gland? The Egyptians must have known the significance of the autonomic nervous system and realized that activating the pineal gland meant they could enter the other world or other dimensions. In the Egyptian system of measurement, the eye of Horus also represented a fractional quantification system to measure parts of the whole. In modern mathematics, we call this the Fibonacci constant or Fibonacci sequence. As I mentioned earlier in the book, this is a mathematical formula that shows up everywhere in nature, displayed in patterns you can see in sunflowers, seashells, pineapples, pine cones, eggs, and even the structure of our Milky Way galaxy. Also known as the golden spiral, the golden mean, or the golden ratio, the Fibonacci constant is characterized by the fact that every number after the first two is the sum of the preceding two. If you superimpose this formula over the brain and began dividing squares while adding another square and another square, you'd get a fractal pattern, a never-ending pattern that repeats itself at every scale. Starting at the pineal gland, this formula outlines the exact structure of the brain. See figure 12.13. Are you beginning to think that there might be something special going on with the pineal gland? In Greek mythology, Hermes was a messenger of the gods who could move in and out of earthly and divine realms. He was considered a god of transitions and dimensions, as well as a guide to the afterlife. His main symbol was the caduceus, which consists of two snakes wrapped around a rod the top of which unfolds into wings or birds. See figure 12.14. The caduceus, which Hermes used as a staff, is often considered a symbol of health. Do you think those snakes moving up the staff represent the movement of energy up the spine from the body to the brain, and the wings the liberation of the self when the energy arrives at the pineal gland to signify enlightenment? The crown represents our highest potential and our greatest expression of the divine when we activate our pineal gland, represented by the pine cone. The crowning of the self is the conquering of the self. This is why I chose this image for the cover of this book. Tuning in to higher dimensions of time and space meditation. Since melatonin levels are at their height between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m., that's the best time to do this meditation. Start by activating your heart center for one song. Then bless your energy centers, starting with the lowest one, as you learned in the blessing of your energy centers meditation in Chapter 4. Bless this energy center by resting your attention first in the space of that energy center and then in the space around it. Do this for the first and then for the second energy center and then focus your attention on the first and second center at the same time. Continue this process with each energy center creating a bigger field by connecting each new energy center to the prior centers. 
Eventually, you'll align all eight centers and the energy around your entire body simultaneously. This should take about 45 minutes. Then lie down for 20 minutes and let your autonomic nervous system take the orders to balance the body. Now sit up and do the breath, bringing that energy all the way up to the top of your head. Hold it and squeeze, compressing the crystals of the pineal gland, thus activating it and creating an electromagnetic field. That field is going to stretch as far as it can go and then it's going to reverse and compress those crystals. As you increase the frequency, you're going to pick up higher and higher vibrational realms. And then your brain is going to take that information and turn it into imagery. One last point about this breath. I want to emphasize that it is not necessary to take a fast, deep breath and then squeeze your intrinsic muscles and then hold your breath to the point that you turn purple. Instead, I want you to take a very slow, long, steady breath, coordinating the breath with the contraction of your intrinsic muscles equally as you inhale and slowly follow that breath all the way to the top of your head. This is the fourth way you can activate the pineal gland. When you're done with the breath, rest your attention between the back of your throat and the back of your head in space. You are locating that gland, and by placing your attention there, you are placing your energy there. Keep your attention there for about five to ten minutes. As a thought, an awareness, and consciousness, get really tiny and move into the chamber of the pineal gland and sense the space of that room in the center of this organ in space. Linger there for about five to ten minutes. Then sense the frequency in space beyond the boundaries of the gland. Radiate the energy beyond that room into the big black space. Direct that energy to carry the intention that this gland release its sacred metabolites for the mystical experience. Broadcast that information into the space beyond your head in space. Now open up. Tune into the energy beyond your head in that vast, eternal black space and just receive. The longer you're conscious of this energy and the more you can receive that frequency, the more you are altering and upgrading melatonin to its radical metabolites. Don't expect anything to happen. Don't try to anticipate. Just keep receiving. Finally, lie down again and let the autonomic nervous system take over. Enjoy the scenery. Chapter 13 Project Coherence Making a Better World We are living in a time of extremes, 
and these extremes are both a reflection of an old consciousness that can no longer survive and a future consciousness in which planet Earth herself and all of us on Earth are transforming. This old consciousness is driven by survival emotions like hatred, violence, prejudice, anger, fear, suffering, competition, and pain. Emotions that serve to seduce us into believing we are separate from one another. The illusion of separation taxes and divides individuals, communities, societies, countries, and Mother Nature herself. The mindless, careless greed and disrespect of human activity is threatening life as we know it. By pure logic and reason, this type of consciousness cannot sustain itself for much longer. Because everything is moving toward extreme polarities, undeniably many of the current systems, whether political, economic, religious, cultural, educational, medical or environmental, are being pulled apart as antiquated paradigms collapse. We can see this most prominently in journalism, where no one knows what to believe anymore. Some of these changes reflect people's choices, while others reflect increasing levels of personal awareness. One thing is apparent, however. In this age of information, everything that is not in alignment with the evolution of this new consciousness is coming to the surface. If you aren't aware that there is an increase in frequency and energy occurring at this time, an increase in anxiety, tension and passion, then you might not be paying attention to your own state of being and mankind's interconnectedness to this energy. In addition to the upheavals in our highly charged political, social, economic and personal environments, many people also feel as if time is speeding up or that more momentous happenings are occurring in a shorter amount of time. Depending on your outlook, this could be either an exciting time of awakening or an anxiety-inducing moment in history. Regardless, the old must fall away or break down so that something more functional can emerge in its place. This is how people, species, consciousness, and even the planet itself evolve. This excitement in energy both within humans and nature begs several questions. Could greater influences be at play that are affecting mankind's correlation to violence, war, crime and terrorism, and conversely, peace, unity, coherence and love? And is there a reason why all of this is happening at this particular time? The History of Peace-Gathering Projects To date, the power of temporary peace-gathering projects has been exhibited and thoroughly field-tested in more than 50 demonstration projects and 23 peer-reviewed scientific studies scrutinized by independent scholars around the world. The results have consistently demonstrated a positive effect in the immediate reduction of crime warfare and terrorism by an average of greater than 70%. Think about that for a moment. 
When a group of people come together with the specific intention or collective consciousness to change something or to produce an outcome, if they create it with the energy and emotions of peace, unity or oneness, without physically doing anything, that unified community can produce changes 70% of the time. To quantify the results of these studies, scientists use a measurement called lead-lag analysis. The purpose of lead-lag analysis is to uncover correlations between people and incidents. For example, if you looked at the lead-lag analysis of a chain smoker, it would show that the more a person smokes, the greater chance they will have of developing lung cancer. In relation to peace-gathering projects, the studies have found that the greater the number of meditators or peace-gatherers, combined with the amount of time they meditate, the greater influence the gathering has upon decreasing incidences of crime and violence in society. A powerful example is the Lebanon Peace Project, which brought together a group of meditators in Jerusalem in August and September of 1983 to demonstrate the radiating influence of peace. Although the number of meditators fluctuated over time, it was often large enough to achieve the super-radiance effect for both Israel and nearby Lebanon. This effect happens when a group of specially trained meditators come together at the same time on a daily basis to create and radiate a positive effect on society. The results of the two-month study showed that on days when there was a high participation of meditators, a 76% reduction of war deaths occurred. Other effects included reduced crime and fires, decreased traffic accidents, less terrorism, and increases in economic growth. The results were then replicated in seven consecutive experiments over a two-year period during the peak of the Lebanon War. All of this was achieved simply by combining people's intentions for peace and coherence with the elevated emotions of love and compassion. This clearly demonstrates that the more unified the consciousness of a group of people within a specific elevated energy is, the more it can change the consciousness and energy of others in a non-local way. In what's considered one of the top three peace-gathering studies in the Western Hemisphere, the RAND Corporation think tank assembled a group of nearly 8,000, and sometimes more, trained meditators to focus on world peace and coherence during three periods ranging from 8 to 11 days each, from 1983 to 1985. The results showed that during this time, worldwide terrorism was reduced by 72%. Can you imagine the results and positive effects, as well as the speed with which they would occur if this type of meditation and mindfulness was part of the education curriculum? In still another study, this time in India from 1987 to 1990, 7,000 people gathered to focus on world peace. During that three-year period, the world witnessed remarkable transformations toward world peace. The Cold War ended, the Berlin Wall came down, the Iran-Iraq War came to an end, South Africa began to move towards abolishing apartheid, and terrorist attacks subsided. 
What surprised everyone was the swiftness with which these global changes occurred, all in a relatively peaceful manner. In 1993, from June 7th to July 30th, approximately 2,500 meditators gathered in Washington, D.C., in a highly controlled experiment to focus on peace and coherent energy. For the first five months of the year, violent crime had been steadily on the rise, yet soon after the study began, a significant statistical reduction in violence as measured by FBI uniform crime reports, crime and stress in Washington, D.C. began to occur. These results point to the fact that a relatively small group of people united in love and purpose can have a statistically significant effect on a diverse population. On September the 11th, 2001, due to the immediacy of global media, Human beings all over the planet felt horror, shock, fear, terror, and grief as planes crashed into the New York City's World Trade Center, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. In an instant, the world's collective consciousness tuned into this event. Powerful emotional outpourings around the globe occurred as people bonded formed communities and took care of one another. During the unfolding of events on 9-11, scientists at Princeton University's Global Consciousness Project were collecting data via the Internet from more than 40 devices around the world. As data poured into a central server in Princeton, New Jersey, the scientists witnessed dramatic changes in the patterns in their random event generator. Think of a random event generator as a computerized coin toss. It's measuring heads or tails, or ones and zeros, so according to statistics, it should produce nearly 50-50 results. The dramatic changes in patterns right after the event caused the scientists to determine that the collective emotional response of people's outpouring was enough that it could actually be measured in the Earth's magnetic field. What all of these studies ultimately point to is that there's significant evidence that group meditations of the right size with skilled meditators who change their emotions and energy can influence and create non-local, measurable effects on peace and global coherence. If these peace-gathering projects are a force for coherence throughout a society, Are there anti-theatical forces that could be working against humans to produce incoherence? 